I think we crack these open right now. Cheers. Um, I've not had this flavor of Jocko fuel yet. Right. It is a uh, mango mayhem. This is passion fruit and bagel. Let's give it a, let's give it a go. Oh, that's good. It is good. It's not overly sweet. So that's my thing. Like if it's too sweet, I can't get near it, you know, and for health purposes, you know, I, you look up what's healthy these days yep. and things are sold to you that say they're healthy, but they're not. I usually just stick to the smallest size sugar-free Red Bull and try to limit to one a day, but being a graveyard officer, that's hard. So. Dude. So I get it because we've had like multiple like energy style uh, pickup drinks in, in, in the gyms forever. And particularly here, I mean, we've carried a few different kinds. I mean, so people want, and uh, either I sell them to them or they're going to walk across the street to the liquor store and they're going to buy them there. So I'm like, yeah, fuck, I might as well make a little bit of money on right. this. But then we've always been really good about having, uh, being very conscious, obviously, about what people are putting in their body. So for those that are, um, sweeteners are a big thing for me. And I know Jocko's using this monk fruit, which I've had in other drinks before, and it can be really overly sweet, but this is, this is pretty good. And yeah. um, I, I like the potassium, you know, uh, I, I cramp really bad uh, a lot, even though I hydrate really well. So the potassium is good. The magnesium, all that stuff's going to help. Yeah. I think, you know, 10 calories. Yeah. So I think it it checks all the boxes for me. Um, it's it's low calorie in general. It just gives me a little bit of that sweet and, and you know, a lot of the stuff. So what's he doing with the caffeine? Is he Uh, 95? It looks like. So it's a, it's a little bit of a hit, but not too much. Not going to pick your way up and then drop you off the edge at the end. Yeah. I'm into it. I'll enjoy that for the rest of the time. Oh yeah, for sure. Welcome to Iron Sights After Dark. During my 25 plus years in the fitness industry, I've always been passionate about expanding my physical, mental, and hard skills to be prepared for whatever life might throw at me. From fitness to firearms and beyond, taking a holistic approach to being prepared has led me on a journey to seek and share both knowledge and skills from expert resources in the civilian, LEO, military, and first responder communities. The mission of this podcast is to help others expand their capabilities and knowledge of preparedness while building strength in the community that shares similar goals and values. So ultimately, we contribute together and grow together. In this episode, I sat down with Greg Simpson. He is a police officer. He's also a SWAT medic. He's got a uh, quite a story. He's got a couple stories that he shared with us. Some about training, some about officer-involved shootings, some about treating uh, some victims in the uh, in the heat of the moment. I think there's some actionable stuff here for just about anybody that might be listening. I think a lot of people can relate. One of the things that we do talk about in this episode is uh, officer mental health as uh, Greg's had quite a career. So um, sit back, enjoy the rest of the show. As a reminder, these episodes are brought to you by Red Dot Fitness Training Programs and Products. For more information on those products and programs, please go to rdftrainonline.com. That's rdftrainonline.com. Greg, welcome to the show, dude. Thank you. It's a privilege and an honor. I really appreciate you having me out today. Oh, man. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, and like, I mean, it, we, we can't go any further without like giving you and the new wife a big congratulations who's in studio today. Thank you. Yeah. You guys are just literally made time at the uh, like 
on your way back from the wedding slash honeymoon and, uh, and made time to stop in and talk to me today. So man, I appreciate both of you for doing that. Thanks for coming in. That's, that's my number one fan right there. My biggest supporter for sure. You got to have those in life, man. Yeah, definitely. The great ones always have one of those. So, um, yeah, congratulations, man. You, you've got an interesting story, but I was from how we got connected. This will kind of lead a little bit into the story. Mm -hmm. Um, I met you a little bit over, over a year ago, we were at a uh, what was called California range day. Uh, the, the GCS guys were sort of leading the charge with the instruction that was going on on that, on that day. And whenever you go out to one of these events, for those people that don't know or are unfamiliar, there's always going to be some type of medical service or uh, medic on, on, on the, the ranger on staff for the day. And for obvious reasons, but in this particular case, uh, probably the thing that you were dealing with the most was like the, the hydration issue. Cause dude, it was fucking hot, miserable. Dude, it was like 110 degrees out there. And I mean, I always know, like I'm on the borderline of crossing over the edge when I look down at like noon and I'm already salty. Like the, the salt's just you dried white, to me. The white stains. On oh, the shirt. it's all cause I was, you know, everybody knows me knows I typically wear blacks, particularly on the range. My, my, um, yeah, my belt was salty. Like it, everything was just soaking wet and then it wasn't. And now you're like, Uh-oh. this is a problem. Uh-oh. And man, I was drinking all day long, but it was, it was hot as hell. But uh, that's where I met you. You were the medic on staff for the day. Um, so that leads a little bit into what you're doing. Yeah, that was a, that was a great weekend. Uh, proceeds went to a fun, uh, a foundation. So, you know, I volunteered my time as I often do for the law enforcement and first responder and military community. So I met a lot of great people yourself and a lot of people that weekend. That's usually the best part of those weekends. I mean, there's always, always a learning, but there's the, um, there's the relationship building in the community, uh, growth aspect that I always really appreciate. And, and that's just, you know, then it's like, it just continues. And so here we are today, a little over a year later, we finally got you in here, man. Uh, I, man, I want to talk a little bit about, or a lot about your career, some of the things you've done, some of the things you've been involved in, because I know you can bring a ton of value to the listeners out there. Um, from a lot of different angles. So we're going to hit a few things just to kind of prep people for it. Like I want to talk about your, your career in law enforcement, uh, and how, uh, being a medic, uh, fits into that because there's, it's, you, you're doing a lot of things, but there's a lot of other things you do. And it's generally guys like you that always are like stretched because you do so many things you want to do them really well. So we'll get into some of those things. Um, and I also want to talk about the, um, the mental health aspect of, of being an officer, um, in the, um, in the game and some of the things that you're doing to take care of yourself, but also contribute to taking care of others. Cause that's a big part of what you do. Um, and then we have some stuff here on the table. So if you're not watching this on YouTube, uh, Greg's brought a bunch of stuff, um, that, uh, from a, from like a trauma response or, uh, a, a first aid response perspective that we're going to talk through some really cool stuff here. And for some people, it might be like, um, ah, dude, I've heard this stuff before. What are we talking about? We're talking about gauze. We're talking about tourniquets and whatever. But every time I listen to this, this type of thing, I always hear something new and some new nugget. So hoping people can take away some cool stuff there. And there's also actually a target here that we're going to talk about, um, as well. So that kind of prefaces what we're going to get into. Definitely. Lots there. So let's, um, let's just hear a little bit about you and kind of what you're doing now. I'll let you go through the resume and how you got to where you're at. All right. Well, um, I would say for me, I come from a military background. My dad was 20 years Navy. So of course out of high school, I tried to join the army. 
had some, had some, <laughs> he was Navy. You decided to join the army. He was also a hose dragger. No offense to my firefighters, uh, but, uh, dad was firefighter Navy and I went cop and, uh, army. So gotcha. love you dad. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I tried to join, had a knee injury fast forward, went to automotive school, puddled around for a long time and decided I wanted to join try to go active duty. My mom's already lost a son. My dad did 20 years Navy. So she was kind of uh, against the whole military thing. So I decided to go to reserve um, with the idea that I could always go active. Um, went in, took a random job thinking I was going to go active. So I ended up chemical Seaburn, uh, which is like the weirdest thing to do because that's not really my style. So talk about that. What is that? Uh, it's Seaburn. It's chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear specialist. It's a big fancy word for finding chemicals and cleaning them off. If, if I could just put it in a small little box. So off of what? Uh, anything? Anything. Yeah. So uh, the unit I was in detected. So we had a recon element. We did decontamination. So we had a decon element. Um, and so we were like a wide a range. And a lot of people don't realize that almost every unit uh, if they're set up right in the army has a, a Seaburn guy, a 74 Delta. Um, okay. So are we talking about decontaminating people, equipment? Uh, what are we talking about? You nailed it. We, okay. we did all of it. We had decon lanes set up to decon vehicles and then get the people out of the vehicles and then decon them themselves. Um, we had, like I said, the recon teams that would actually go out if there was potential element Got it. Um, and then go ahead and uh, figure it out. Like what's out, out there? Yeah, what, what can we is, do? What yeah. can we not do? We even had high tech Humvees called bids units, which actually had little labs on the back of them. I was never in that unit, so I don't know much about it, but there's basically a big lab on the back of a Humvee that would go out and they could test stuff right there in the field. It's pretty cool. So is this, like, is this something, I mean, you choose or is this something you got assigned to or a little bit of both? So a, a little bit of both for me, because you take the ASVAB, you test, and then they give you a list of what you're eligible for. And again, in my mind, I was going to go active duty. Like mm. this is to make my mom happy. We were in Iraq and Afghanistan at the time. I'm going to go active duty. Like that's what I want to do. I wanted to be a medic. Um, and it just, when I was in AIT, uh, which is after boot camp, after basic training, you okay. go and learn your job. Well, we pulled out of Iraq. We started drawing down in Afghanistan. I come home and I still have the letters saved on my laptop. I wrote multiple letters trying to get released from my unit to go active duty. And they're like, yeah, no, we're forcing people into the reserves. You're stuck here. Oh, so okay. I'm okay. like, oh, I should have selected a different job if I knew I was going to get stuck with this for six years. It, given that you wanted to be deployed. But everything right. happens for a reason, right? So Absolutely. Uh, fast forward, I have my son um, from another relationship. Um, I realized that I love the brotherhood of the military. Mm -hmm. I've always been a gun guy. I've always been into shooting. Um, and I like, I like that pride of wearing a uniform and the brotherhood. Now in my teens, you would have never thought I would have been a cop. You know, as a kid, I was like, Oh, I want to be a cop. Right. But in my teens did hood rat stuff with my friends. And I was like, I'm never going to be a cop. Well, I get come back from all my training in the military. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. Okay. That, that's how I can make a difference not for my nation, but for my community locally. Right. Okay. Got it. I get the mindset. Um, so that's where I got the interest in law enforcement, um, started applying places Took a year and a half, two years back then it was still very hard. Now it's like, we can't find enough people. There aren't enough people signing up, but how, back then, how old are you at this point? I'm 30. Uh, well now I'm 36 at that time. I was probably 24. Okay. So okay. a little bit of life experience. Like I said, I went to mechanic school. I worked in the automotive field. I worked at a race shop here in the Bay area. Okay. Um, shout out to them. They're no longer open, but GST motorsports, they still support me. Big family, um, worked for them, but the economy hit and couldn't hold the job in that industry. And that's when I was like, Hey, 
I don't want to live my life and not have checked this box. Yep. Like military service is something I always needed to do and wanted to do. Okay. Um, th that was the time. Okay. So you, you get out and you're applying for at different agencies. Yeah. Did it matter where? At that time? No. I mean, I was applying everywhere. Okay. Um, but everywhere I kept getting on lists, you know, Hey, we're taking five. You're eight. Okay. Hey, we're taking 10. You're 12. Oh, the, the list is good for a year. We'll call you. Not a single call. It doesn't matter it. if you're 12 or 1200. I mean, you're not on the, you're not on the list. They're, it, they're just telling you to what if, they need. To if tell. you're not getting taken, you're not getting taken. Right. Exactly. You know? okay. um, but I also had a kid at that point. Right. So there's always an option to put yourself through the Academy. Some, uh, veterans use their GI bill. I know people have done that for me. It wasn't an option. I needed to get paid. So I was looking for a very specific position to get paid while I'm in the Academy, which is okay. even harder to find. I mean, I had a kid to support. I had myself to support. I'm mm -hmm. a grown man, right? I'm in my twenties. Um, so well, that, some wouldn't look at it like that, but yes, you're a grown man. You're in your twenties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, my dad being Navy, he raised me to be a man. Yeah, and so I, get um, it. I was trying to find this niche, right. Of getting paid to go to the Academy. So that was a struggle. I worked at bank of America. Uh, I got hired through a veterans program. I went to one of those veteran fairs and got hired. Worst job ever. Oh, I'm sure that was a lot of fun. My brother actually worked in a bank and he had some kind of some funny stories sometime, but he hated it. So the people were, he hated people after that. Like just, no, I just, I didn't hate people. I just hated the, the numbers, you know, like, hell, you didn't make your well, numbers. That's a problem I'm, if you're I'm in like, the bank. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm off by one. You know, I got, I got 12 and you needed 13. Like yeah. I'm killing myself out here for you guys. But it was a job. Again, I had to work. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was a job and they knew I wanted to be a cop. They're very supportive. Um, I had some good leaders there, right. It's all about leadership. I had good leaders that gave mm -hmm. me time off to go to interviews. Um, they gave me the time off to go to my military training. Uh, shout out to Bank of America for that because they were very good with working with my drill time, giving okay. me the time off, uh, even paying me sometimes to go to drill. Um, so that was great. Um, and then all of a sudden, poof, one week shows up and I've got offers from SACPD, SFPD, and CHP. Wow. And I'm like, how did this happen? Like, mm -hmm. it was like a blessing and a curse because it's like, okay, now what do I do? Right. right? Um, I only applied for CHP, to be honest, because one of my platoon sergeants in my Army Reserve unit was a sergeant. And uh, he was like, apply, apply, apply. So I did. And I was like, oh, no, I don't. That's not it. what you want. That's not what I want. And at the time, I didn't really want to commute to SF or um, yeah. People that don't understand like CHP, like you're going a couple different places oh, yeah. guaranteed. You're going to SAC. Yep. You're going to, you're going to the Bay area. You're going to work San Francisco, Oakland Bay area. Right. Yep. Or you're going to Los Angeles. You're usually going down to SoCal yeah. first, yeah. you know, and then that can take you anywhere. And that's the problem I didn't with. A, with and then you can wind up in the fucking Mojave desert. Right. And with a kid, I didn't want to, <laughs> right. and being a separate household, I yep. didn't want to uproot myself from my kid. Yep. So that was a big factor. And I didn't want to do a living academy. I had just gotten done with basic training and AIT for the army. You're you know, over a couple it. Years. I was over it. I didn't want to live and have somebody banging on my door at three in the morning. Like, yeah. and they're done that. Cool. Right. Um, so, uh, I did a ride along with SAC PD and it was amazing. We got in pursuits. I mean, we were pulling people out at gunpoint. I met a good friend of mine that night that I actually lived with while I worked up there. Um, and so I took that position. It was paid. SAC PD treated me very well. Um, I got hurt halfway through my first academy, had to have a knee surgery. Uh, very fortunate. They kept me, um, worked light duty for like a year, went back to my academy, killed it. Um, but during that academy, my relationship kind of got mm -hmm. estranged a little bit with my son's mother. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and at the time the plan was for her to move up there. So I wouldn't be away from him. And it was her decision and I respect it, but it was, Hey, we're going to stay down here. And I had already been for almost two years, every Friday, I was packing my car, right. driving home, right. right. To the Bay area to see my kid. So tough. driving back up on my Monday and basically living in a room I rented from another officer, that friend I mentioned, and then going back and forth. Yeah. It's forth. hard, man. It was hard for my mental. It was hard on my son. He was a child, little sure. baby. And, um, so I just, I made a very hard decision. Um, I'm sure there's people that hate on me for leaving, uh, SAC PD at that time because, you know, they did a lot for me and I appreciate them for that. And that's why I'm using their name in all of this. Cause they are a great agency. It's still a job though, man. It is. And it's so job. I made a family decision and I moved back to the Bay area and, uh, but I wanted that same kind of fast paced running and gunning, okay. chasing cars. So there's a few agencies in my area in the East Bay mm -hmm. and I was looking at one, which now looking at it and where that agency is now, I'm kind of glad I didn't go there, but family friend did uh, all the evidence toes for the other PD. Okay. I said, Hey, don't go there. This is where you want to go. Okay. These are good people. Two hours later, I'm not even kidding you. My phone rang and it was a captain. Wow. We spent maybe uh hour and a half, two hours on the phone. And he goes, that's your interview. I need you to come in next week and meet the hiring captain. <laughs> this is, this is working it, out well. It was, it was wild. Um, yeah. Cause mind you at this point, like I'm in field training, I've graduated the Academy. Like I'm, working in SAC on the street at this point. And, um, it, it was just all a whirlwind. And so I ended up at the agency I'm at now. Mm -hmm. I've been there going on seven years now. Absolutely love it. Um, it's, it is a fast paced, violent city, high crime. So, I mean, it's no Oakland by any means, but we get our shooters, we get our homicides, mm -hmm. um, which for me as a medic is great because I get a lot of hands-on experience. So let's time out for a second because now we're, we're, we're sort of caught up to where you are yep. and what, what you're kind of doing. So we mentioned you're a medic. We mentioned obviously you're a cop, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you've also kind of articulated that you're always grinding and looking for the next thing and you want to be, Yep. you put me in coach. Like I want to yep. be in, I want to be in it. So, so I actually missed that little segment of how I got into this whole tack med thing. Yeah. So let's so. talk about the tack med thing and kind of what you're, what, are, what do you do on a daily now? Yeah. So what got me into the tack med is working at the city. I, I love the medical stuff. I ate it up. I had done combat lifesaver in the army. Um, and I loved it. So I got out of that six years as doing the chemical stuff and they kept calling my phone the first couple of months. Hey, we need you back. Come back, come back. Okay. So I said, I always want to be a combat medic. And again, right. I didn't want to not check that box. So I said, you give me that job and I'll come back. So they did. So I basically went back into the reserve after only being out a few months. Okay. Went in, went to a transition school to trans transfer my MOS to a combat medic. It was a high intensity, the like a fast paced. Yeah. The normal ones, I think like six months, seven months. Mm -hmm. I did it all in like two and a half. So in comparison to like the civilian community and obviously I would, I would imagine like in the military, I have no idea that it's going to be more concentrated on things that you would traumas that you would see in the military, right? Things that you would have to deal with gunshots, burns, uh, ballistic trauma, J just really gnarly shit on that end versus all the medical stuff that most medics deal with. Yeah, or paramedics I, tell, deal I, on the I outside. tell people all the time, like medical is true medicine, right? Like I get it. And I know how to do 
a majority of it, but it's not my bread and butter. It's not what I'm passionate about. It's the trauma medical. And there's no better instructors in that field, in my opinion, than the army, right? During times of war, we learn more about medicine and medical uh, interventions during times of war. Unfortunately, it's one of the positives that we get out of war, right? Yeah, it's an interesting fact. Learning about surgeries and how to stop bleeds that comes from war. People don't realize that, but a lot of that is like, we don't cut people up, right? We're not the Germans back in the world war. Like we're not cutting people. We're not trying to figure it out. Right. But we learn from our mistakes on the battlefield. And so the army for me was like, Hey, we'll give you your EMT in 13 days. Like we hit the ground. We did CPR, all the EMT stuff works. Gives you that basic call. And then it's like, here we go. I got my national reg, my EMT national reg. And that's a semester. I think at college, if not two. It's very interesting. I just looked into this because this is a, this is a box in my life that I've always actually wanted to take. Um, was the EMT box. And I've been kind of, looking at it for a couple of different reasons and coming in today, I looked at it. So there's a couple of different ways that I found that you can get through this thing. And again, I'm not an expert. This is my brief research, but there are like third parties that will teach it, right? Like, well, you can go through like a, um, like sort of an academy. There's also like kind of like your, your, uh, national university type Mm -hmm. type places. And then your city colleges, like we have one that's really a hop, skip and a jump that has a, a well-known EMT program. Um, that's just around the corner from us. And you can do it like um, weeknights and weekends, or you can do it just weekends, or you can do the accelerated class, which is like, uh, I think it's like six weeks, but it's five days a week for eight hours a day. And so in terms of how long it takes, it can take you, you know, anywhere from like a month to three months, maybe a little bit longer, maybe as much as 16 versus like, that's an EMT versus in to where you can sit, take the test and become actually registered, um, and certified. And then, then there's also, then there's the paramedic thing, which is a completely different deal, which can take, you know, closer to a year. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. Depending on, or, and I think that's like 12 to 14, maybe as many as 16 months, depending on where you're going. Which is what's crazy with, uh, medics in the army. We, we get our EMT cert. So like I said, it took that class for 13 days and took the national registry test at the end of it. It was staying up till two, three in the morning, every night, waking up for chow yeah. at 5am and doing it all right over back again. at it. Yeah. Um, Super concentrated. We, we learned paramedic skills. You know, I know how to start an IV, right? That's a paramedic skill in the state of California. I can push meds in the army. Can't do that here. I can right. do trachs in the army. Can't do that here. So, um, it's, it's crazy because I'm paramedic skills, but I can't do that here. So um, yeah, the California is a little, little weird that way, just with the liability stuff and whatever else. Um, I think it hurts us. I really do. But you know, for whatever reasons it is the way it is. But the point here is, is like, you got a ton of training in a very short period of time. And then you're able to, to, to somehow leverage this, to take it back into your, to your quote unquote civilian life. Right. Because when you're not, when you're not wearing the badge, you're a civilian, we're all civilians. Right. Yeah. That was in the military. That was my whole plan. Right. Right. It's like you said, it's hard. You can do these weekends. You can do these five days. There's all these different ways you can get it. But for me, I live my life on a Google calendar. Like we're here because we're tail ending my, my wedding. Right. Um, I'm always busy. So I said, how am I going to accomplish this? Well, if I go to the military, I'm on military orders, work has to let me go. Right. So I'm going to basically force myself to do it in a short time mm-hmm. and get it over with. Right. Versus like doing the weekends and nighttime class thing that I just mentioned. Right. Cause I can do the local community college by my house too. Right. right? So I, jump on that, come home. Now that I have my national, I apply for my California by basically filling out an application and and paying a fee. Yeah. Right. right. So now you're more than qualified here. So now I become a 
uh, post, for those that don't know, is the police officer's standard, a police officer standard of training is all the certifications you need in the police world. So now I become a post first aid CPR AD instructor for my agency. Um, and now we start talking TAC medic. Um, a lot of teams use local ambulances, tactical teams, but they're not armed. Our team uses a attack med that's a sworn officer because it allows you to have a firearm. So, all right. So we, you're an officer on the street. Yep. Patrol. You're, yeah. You're a medic now, a, a qualified medic in the army reserves. Correct. Right. Um, you did this through the reserves after prior service. Then you come back. Now you're, so you ha- now you're an EMT by the state of California and you're still an officer on the street. And now we're talking about the world of being a TAC medic. So TAC being short for tactical medic, correct? Ta- tactical medicine. So this would sort of, again, go back to like, well, you could kind of surmise what tactical medicine is versus again, being a paramedic on the streets of San Jose and getting any number of calls. And in this case, you just mentioned, cause I've worked, I've actually trained with guys on the, on the range before that are TAC medics, but they are not in the world of law enforcement. They were firefighters or even like corrections officers or, or something like that. And then they're working with local, um, local departments. If some, something goes down active shooter, uh, there's some type of a, a situation. Right. Um, they normally refer to as like teams, teams, it's tactical EMS basically, you know? So, so they have to go in with, so you're going to go into a situation with a medic that can both respond to whatever may happen to the officers, God forbid, or whatever's maybe happening to a victim or whatever's maybe happening to the, uh, the perpetrator. Right. So if you think about it, like your normal EMS, they're strictly cold zone, right? They're going to be way outside that danger area and they're going to stay in that cold zone. Okay. Then you got your Tim's guys, which are unarmed, but generally they'll have like ballistic armor, maybe helmets, uh, a, a lot more advanced training. They'll mm-hmm. usually cross train with us and we still utilize them. Shout out to our local Tim's guys. Cause they come out to all our call outs too. Um, but they're more willing to go just a little bit further than that. So maybe slightly into the warm zone. Right. Okay. Um, but then there's that next step, right? You got like the cold, the warm and the hot zone, right? With a tactical medic that's armed, such as myself, I'm right there. So when it happens, there is no delay, whether it's an officer or whether it's a suspect. If it's a suspect, as soon as we know it's code four, right, it's all good. I'm going to start going to work. If it's one of us, I'm going to drag him into the last room we cleared and, and I'm going to put somebody on the door and I'm going to go to work where the Tim's guys, if they can't get down that hallway to get to that officer, well, you got basic, whatever your officers have been trained to. And that level is so up and down. So, so not, so not every department has, um, officers that are TAC medics on staff. No, no. Uh, in fact, a lot of departments, uh, use just those Tim, Tim's guys or teams, mm-hmm. uh, depending on, depending on how you're going to pronounce it, but mm-hmm. they just utilize that. Um, they don't actually have a sworn officer on their SWAT team. That is a tactical medic. So let's go. So you just mentioned that term SWAT team. So let's go, let's talk about the SWAT stuff. So again, like I'm just thinking about it, like if, if I'm, if we have a SWAT team feels like we should be, we, I'm just saying the collective, we feels like we should be covering all bases here. Like bad shit happens. That's why the SWAT team shows up. Correct. So why we don't, don't show up. We don't show up to your, you know, noise complaint. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, so you work strictly with SWAT then, and then as a street officer, how does it work? So I'm still a smaller agency. So a lot of potential at my agency, which is great. Um, but it's all ancillary duties. Got so it. I am patrol officer Monday through Thursday. I work nights. I'm a graveyard dog. I love it. Um, 
I'm a night owl by nature. Um, so I do my normal patrol. We have SWAT training once a month. Um, usually I get a couple hours of sleep cause it's the next day mm -hmm. or I don't sleep at all. Um, but we go and we train once a month and that's a wide variety of, um, boxes we have to check throughout the year. Mm -hmm. Um, and then other than that, it's just a call out basis. So we have set call outs sometimes, you know, we serve search warrants, high risk search warrants, um, normally homicide, armed, uh, robbery suspects, things like that. Um, but we are subject to call out. Uh, we've had numerous call outs in my time on the team where you get that call in the middle of the night or middle of the day and you got to hustle in. So let's talk about that. I mean, how often does that happen on like a weekly monthly basis where you're going code three somewhere knowing that you're going to have to completely suit up and get into it? You know, it really depends on the year, but we're a busy agency. So, I mean, we just had what, two or three call outs in the last month or two. Wow. Um, like planned ones, um, going after bad guys and knocking on their door. We like to call it the early morning wake up. Yeah. Um, I call it door kicking, but it's whatever. Yeah. That early morning wake <laughs> up when that flashbang goes off, you, you, you wake up real quick. Morning. Um, yeah. So, but we get few of those, but the, the, the call outs that we weren't prepared for, right. Like the, the call-ins as we would say, um, that's just whatever the world brings us. You know, our patrol officers do a great job de-escalating and working through situations. So there's a lot of times where we get that text like, hey, we're getting wound up. And then like an hour later, as we're, we're all getting, good. Right, yeah, we're all good. We're fine. Right. So um, if it gets to the point where it started as a patrol car call and we get out there, it's usually hours later. Okay. Um, but we get quite a few of those a year. Okay. Like I said, I'm fortunate to work at an agency that stays busy. What about interagency work? I mean, do you, are, are, and when I say interagency, maybe what I mean, yeah, it's interagency. So working with other local um, cities or municipalities um, that may, may have SWAT teams, may, maybe they don't have SWAT teams. Yeah. So generally the, the general rule is like, if you go to somebody else's city and they have a team, you offer it to their team. And if their team wants it, they take it. And then your detectives just come and clean it up. Or maybe you do it together. Or a lot of times, if it's something serious, you know, these agencies don't want to get involved in a shooting right. based on your case because now it it mumbles it all up. Sure. So they'll pass on it, you know, especially if it's high risk, which pretty much everything we're doing is high risk. And they'll let the, the agency that's coming into town handle it. Um, but we get asked to do aid in our town. SFPD comes out. Um, the Fetty boys, you know, the Alphabet boys come into mm -hmm. town. Sometimes we'll help them out. Um, we just helped out, uh, an agency, uh, I'll just Richmond, mm -hmm. we helped them out recently, um, multi-agency thing, you know, and we went out there and helped them out just cause a team's only so big. So if you got to hit numerous places, you know, your buddies sometimes tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, we need some help. And you don't say no. Right. Like right. you go and you take your team and maybe there's another team and another team and, you know, you see the homies and you're like, Hey, what's up? You know, <laughs> four in the morning, like, Hey, how's it going? So the whole concept of team, usually when we're talking about like spec ops stuff, which is effectively what you're doing, right. Um, for the department to a very small degree, to, 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 but it's look, there's, there's something specific going down. We need a group of specialized operators, if you will, to go in there and handle this particular situation. And then within that team, there are people with very specific skill sets. And obviously you're bringing the one we've already talked about. How often do you find yourself, whether it's on, you know, operating through the SWAT umbrella or just out on the street, applying the skill set um, and administering the skill set that you have as a medic? Honestly, pretty often. I mean, several times a year. Um, we had a shooting not too long ago and a lady got all shot up. Luckily, mostly just extremities, but, you know, got there. Uh, it was like one of third, fourth on scene, but, you know, they know, you know, hey, when Sims gets there, he's going to take over as, as far as medical 
and, you know, get the clothes off, get her trauma naked so we can see what's going right. on, applied some tourniquets and she lived. So, you know, but applied what three tourniquets to her wrapped some hands. So, and that was just recently, um, had a OIS on our team recently where the shooter was in between my legs and the guy was shot. And I was right on top of whoa, whoa, time, time out. That's intense. Okay. So hold on. So we had this lady get shot up. This is some type of, it's like a drive by type thing. Uh, yeah, it was basically don't know if she was targeted or what, but yeah, She's basically the wrong place, wrong time, wrong place, wrong time. Got shot up. Okay. Got shot. And you know, they're sending in the police because they don't, you don't want the, whatever American ambulance rolling up into an active yeah. crime scene or an act, you know, an active right. shooting area. Right. So she's lucky that you were there. Right. Maybe. Well, and my partners, you right. know, I, I take a lot of pride in that uh, my agency does a lot more than I see other agencies do when it comes to medical. And I hope that's in part to my annual, you know, biannual, whatever it is, training that we get maybe once a year, twice a year. Um, people feeling confident to get people in there. Feeling and get confident, like, Hey, yeah. like I've seen this, I've been told what to do and Respond they do it. Yeah. They don't, they don't stand by. I hear all the times from the other crews, like, Hey, I applied a tourniquet last week. Dude, you'd be proud. Go watch my video, you know, cause we all wear body cameras. So I'll go watch the video. I'm like, hey, that's man, awesome. Hey man, you killed it. And they're like, yeah, dude, like everything you said. That's so awesome. That, that feels good for me as like an instructor. That's what feels good is when people come to me and they're excited that they did the right thing and they knew how to do the right thing. This is, this, this is a common thing. Like I hear this a lot, like, um, just in the training aspect of, I never would have done that had I not gone through that training with you six months ago, yeah. or I never would have known how to respond. I probably would have froze had I, you not had that conversation with me and walked me through and effectively the term has been used on the podcast a few times is downloaded that software in order for me to deal with it. And then in this case, it's taking a few steps further and now you're downloading hardware and you're putting it in their hands and teaching them how to use it. So you have this practical um, application of it all, but let's go back to the dudes between your suspects, between your legs. You didn't say male. You said it was a female before, but suspects between your legs and get shot while you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, can you walk us through this? Cause this sounds crazy to me. Uh, yeah. It's just, uh, I did my time as the TAC medic for a little bit. And then obviously I wanted to be an operator on the team, right? I want to just be stuck in the up armored all the time. So I eventually applied to be an operator. So I do both now. So now at this point now I'm, I'm in the mix, right? I'm in the stacks and I won't go too far into it because yeah. it, it was a more recent thing. But the short version is, is that, you know, this, this, uh, person, presented a deadly threat and that was addressed and it's on the internet that all the OIS videos have to be released. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying anything that isn't in isn't the video, out there, right. but yeah, um, we're using the threshold of a, of a door for cover. I'm high, he's low and uh, I'm less lethal. He's lethal. And you know, if threat presented itself and uh, he did what he had to do and I'm happy he did. So neither one of us got hurt, but because now he's right there in front of me again, we're talking about that like hot warm zone thing mm -hmm. going on now. It's rapidly changing. We're, we're, let me just say this. We were somewhere in a building where it took EMS quite a while just to get to us. Okay. But instead I was able to then just start rendering aid, literally rendering aid as we're dragging them to an elevator to get them to EMS. I do a handoff and there is no delay in medical care from the time it happened, maybe 10, 15 seconds, mm -hmm. right. For medical care to begin. And then it never ceased until that person got to the hospital. And that's the advantage of that armed TAC med, right. That armed sworn police officer on your team is there's no delay and, and at a higher level, right? Cause not downgrading, you know, teams that do T E C C or T triple C training. Yeah. I'm all for it. Like I'm going to start teaching an LEO class. It's an eight hour through an AMT. It's medical directive certified. It gets you a cert. And I'm going to start offering that to all the local teams in my area to get them all dialed in because 
that's just a step below EMT. I mean, as far as trauma, it's to me, it's, it's basic stuff. You just got to be taught it. Yeah. So the CECC stuff, it, can you compare and contrast? Because I've been through some of that um, uh, myself, some, I'll call it like accelerated. I don't want to, you know, overstate my level of knowledge or whatever, but. Well, the thing I, I see a, a lot. Of, yeah, yeah. The thing I see a lot with the, the difference between TCCC and TECC is right. one is more uh, military based and one's more civilian based. So there's some slight differences in yeah. there that you're going to learn or get taught. Right. But I see a lot of people teaching and it's no knock to anybody, but a true TCC or TCCC, yeah. it takes about two days uh, yeah. if you're following the curriculum. It's, it's and, intensive. And if you're under medical directive and a lot of people teach classes and I'm all for that. The more people like we've mm. talked about it before, like I'm not a proponent, like screw that guy because he's doing the same thing as me. Is that guy's teaching the right thing? Right. I want people to get as many tools in their toolbox as they can. Go see him. Go see me. Go get all the training you can. Right. Um, but a lot of people are teaching stuff and it's like not the curriculum and it's not under medical directive. And in this day and age, especially in California, I don't want you to do something and then be in a civil courtroom and being like Greg Simpson told me trying something. to save somebody's life. Right. Yeah. And then now they come to me and go, well, who are you? Cause I'm no doctor. Right. But if I'm teaching you a class and it's under medical directive, now this is the curriculum. This is what we taught. Now, is- when they come to me, I just point the finger at the doctor. Like, Hey, yeah. this doctor signed off on this class and this is the coursework. Here's his roster. Here's ask his cert. Him. Ask him. This is what he told me I could teach. This is why I taught it. And this is how I taught it. But it was all signed off by a doctor. And to me, that's a huge difference in this day and age, as far as just going out, you know, stop the bleeds. Great. You know, you can sign mm-hmm. up to be an instructor pretty easily online and it is good. I know some great guys out there that teach stop the bleed and go for it. You know, that's a great foundation to start. But again, a lot of times you're not working under medical directive and stuff like that. So having that basically safety net where if it does get dirty, dirty in California and you're in a civil courtroom or in a criminal courtroom, you can say Greg Simpson taught it. And I can say Dr. So-and-so signed it off. Yeah. It's interesting. It's so crazy that we live in that, in that world here and that, and we have to, I wish I could just go out and just teach, 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 but I would rather do it the right way. I agree with you. People don't realize when, when playing the game is part of the, part of the game. And I mean, you got to know what the rules are and what it exposes people to, and obviously you and the liability, you have to, and it is what it is. So, and to put it into perspective for uh, the listeners that don't know when AMR or your ambulance shows up and you have an ENT or a paramedic, they're working under medical directive when they go and they're on the phone and they're not transporting right away. And you're like, what are they doing? They're on the phone. They're talking to a doctor. They're talking to a doctor or to a doctor through a nurse. Right. And this is what I've got. Where, what hospital do you want me to go to? What do you want me to give them? Can I give them this medicine and a doctor signing off on it? So that way, if it gets screwed up, it falls back on a doctor. So when I think of my medical training and when I want to train the general public and other officers, I want that for them too. So you've talked about like why it's good. Is there any point where that's not great? Like where it delays the process, where it convolutes things, where people don't get the care that they they need or should have? Um, is, there, is there a side to this? I, yeah. I mean- there's skills that I've learned in the military that if I did it, like if I, you went down and you had burns or you had some sort of, let's just say I needed a trachea, for instance, right? Tracheotomy, yep. right? And cut you open, get you airway right below your Adam's apple, right? If I do that to you and you're my boy, hopefully you're not going to sue me, but technically that's outside of my EMT Way skill outside set. of the scope. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm going to be sitting in a courtroom. And but I'm, if you were on the battlefield. Oh, all day. Right. All day. Same thing with starting a line. You know, I deal with, you talk about dehydration on the range. I deal with it with my own guys. You know, I've had guys that dizzy and I'm like having to take them back to the station, you know, get cold wraps on them, you know, get them some, like some hydration other than just water. And, 
you know, if I could just hit them with an IV bag, you know, some lactate problem right now, you know, a thousand, you know, thousands of, uh, lactated ringers, you know, straight in, it's got all the good stuff in it. It's not just saline you're putting in them. It's like, you know, where I did my EMT training was, uh, or my combat medic was back in, uh, Missouri and it was hot every day, but luckily we were hitting each other with bags every day because we had to practice (laughs) IVs. I mean, I was bruised up because we're sticking each other so much, but interesting. I got to experience how well that helps with dehydration. And I've pleaded like medical directors, like, let me just, I'm not going to push meds, but just, I know the contradictions and the indicators of dehydration and, and giving an IV for that. I won't, you know, feed them five bags and, you know, potentially yeah. uh, get myself into a bad situation, but I get told, no, yeah, it's black and white. Right? It's not an EMT skill. Sorry. So that's like one instance where I could do better for my team. I could do better for other people, but I can't do it. Um, and I won't do it because again, it, we live in California. It puts everybody at risk too. I mean, it's not yeah. just, it's bigger than you, right? There's it, an apartment extremely, there. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things going on. Um, wow, man. So you just mentioned two, two shooting events and yeah. you were involved very directly in an officer involved shooting. Yes. Um, in just seven years. Uh, uh, yeah. I've been on scene first or second on scene to multiple homicides with the victim down. Um, first or second on scene to multiple officer involved shootings or on scene. I had an officer involved shooting last year. Um, again, it's part of the job, but working in a high crime violent city, you're more likely to come across it. Um, good and bad, right? Bad for the mental game, but good for the experience game. Um, it gives me a good, good opportunity to test my skill sets and, uh, keep them sharp. Well, that's why you do it, right? Yeah. That's why you train and train and train. Yeah. So can you talk about that one? Yeah, that one's all closed up. That one's done. Uh, I had my final uh, court. Uh, my county does a coroner's inquest, which is weird. Like kind of like a final on this day, you did okay kind of thing. Um, so I had that a couple months ago. Um, so yeah, it's on the internet too. Um, but uh, basically typical DV call. Um, we get called to DV uh, reporting party stating that her uh, husband or son's father um, is at the door trying to kick in the door with a gun. And, you know, these days everyone says somebody has a gun and to it be gets honest people with you, there, it gets, it gets, it gets you, you guys there faster. It does. Mm-hmm. But in fairness, everybody is carrying a gun these days. We get, we've quadrupled the guns pulling off the street. This Roger year. That. My, my department has done a killer job. There's some go getters at my department. They've done a killer job this year getting guns off the street. But, um, now we got a second reporting party and she's saying, Hey, my neighbor, there's some guy with a gun trying to kick in the door. All right. So, so, it's so now it's like, oh, okay, this is legit. Right. So we get there and we're a couple officers deep and uh, he's on the staircase at the bottom of the staircase and she's got an upstairs apartment. So my partner tries to talk to him a little bit. My sergeant just happened to be there, which they generally show up later because they're coming from somewhere else. Um, And a couple other officers. And this guy starts beelining up the stairs. He's got his hands in his pockets. He's not really talking to us, but we know that's her apartment and we know he's possibly armed. So of course we follow up the staircase as we're coming up the staircase. This is a bad situation. It is. You guys are at the bottom. He's at the top. Well, staircases and hallways, right? Like CQB 101, that's like where you don't want to be. Right. Um, Yeah. Staircases on certain calls still to this day. I'm like, here we go. Staircase. And this isn't with your team. This is with the guys. This is on patrol. This is like my second call of the night. Uh, Cleared briefing, went to a 5150 and actually cleared that call very quickly to go to this one. Um, So, at this point, he's backtracking up the stairs. He kind of turns and I'm just behind the the primary shooting officer and uh, officer with less lethal. 
and I see him drawing. So you're the number three guy. The number three guy. But we're kind of staggered. So I'm like number two-ish. Okay. Like we're, me and number two are like shoulder to shoulder. Okay. And um, I actually see the gun start to come out. And if uh, you watch my video, you can, they don't depict it in the video my my department put out. But if you pause it, you can see the gun on my body camera. I saw it. Oh, you, what you're saying is they didn't do the edit, but if you. They didn't do the yeah. circle. They did it for the primary shooting officer. But if you look at mine, you can see. Oh, the gun from, I gotcha. From the different my, camera angles. Correct. I'm correct. with you. Okay. They showed my camera angle, but they didn't like slow it down and depict like circle the gun. Yeah. yeah. So I start to say something. I forget what I was going to say, but you hear me start to talk and then shots ring out. And I, it's that fast, that fast. Um, I kind of lost sight of some people as they're moving around. Cause it's like a, um, what do I call it? Like a platform, like but, a mezzanine up top. Yeah. yeah there's like, apartments left and right. There's, I think four apartments total, two on one side, two on the other. So I hear the shots, I hear boom. And what I thought was boom, boom, boom. So my mind, it's crazy how fast your brain processes stuff because my brain instantly went to this dude shot at my partner who is like my little brother, right? I've been with them through thick and thin. Mind you, his wife is the dispatcher. Wow, it's a tight family. Yeah. And so um, I'm thinking this dude just shot at my partner and he shot back, boom, boom. Right. right? So, so one, the first boom was coming from the suspect and the well, second that's, two that's were That's what coming. my brain picked up. What actually happened is my partner shot all three shots. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this guy was high as a kite. He had everything in his system, right? So um, I think that had to deal with the fact that he was trying to shoot at us, but probably couldn't due to his mental. Because he got it out. He got, he it, got out. it out. Um, but my partner shot. And so I think we were going upstairs. So I don't remember if I kind of flinched. Uh, or if I slipped on a stair, like but in mid step somewhere, there, there's a surveillance camera from the apartment complex and you can see me kind of drop down one step as the shots ring out. But my mind, I'm like, go get them. Right. Like that's my boy. Like I'm not going to leave him up there. So, uh, I start going up the stairs and as I'm going up it, he goes flat on the stairs, the suspect or your partner, my partner. Oh boy. So we talked about that hallway, right? That hallway staircase, CQB is the worst place to be, right? Yeah, well, you're on no man's land yeah, right now. Kudos to my partner. He was smart enough that the only place I can get cover is down. Is down. Well, he had a malfunction. I didn't know that. He had a, he had a malfunction off after his third shot. So he smartly lays down on the staircase to try to fix it. But in my mind, watching him out of the corner of my he eye, thought he was dead. I I thought he was shot. Yeah, okay. I'm like, holy crap, this is it. This is every cop's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm my friend and partner is shot and I'll try not to get choked up right now, but I still tell him to this day, every time I think about it, I, I relive that feeling of that. He was shot, you know, I can't and that's, this. that yeah. is like, there's no other way to put it. It's a shitty feeling. It is the worst. Right. So at this point, I still can't really see the suspect um, because I was also using the staircase to my advantage. Right. right. So the best you can. Yeah. I start slowly cresting it up stair by stair. And in my mind, I was two handed. I mean, like, oh, right. Like right. you do at the range, right. Two handed, everything's Side there. Picture. Everything was perfect. Right. Well, somebody later, one of my buddies the next morning after everything goes down, he goes, dude, that was one handed on a staircase, dude. And you hit him. And I'm like, what? No, nah, dude, I had two hands on the gun. And he's like, no, nah, dude, you had one hand on wow, the gun. This is fascinating to me that, I mean, this is because, I mean, what are we talking about? It just seconds, five seconds. And what's a trip is there's so much that I remember like clear as day and stuff that's like, oh yeah, that did happen, you know? <laughs> um, and so 
what ended up happening is because I'm going up the stairs, I felt unbalanced and I grabbed the handrail with my left Which hand. Which left you one-handed. It left me one-handed. And as I crest up, he's still moving. And again, clear as day, like my mind just goes right onto the barrel and the guns pointed at me. I can clearly see his fingers inside the trigger guard. Mm. I, I see building, building and a little backdrop. There's like a sliver of no building. And I'm like, here we go. He's moving. It's pointing at me threat. Boom, boom. Actually, it was pretty, pretty precise because I knew I was shooting one handed. And so I shot one and I'm pretty sure that one I'd have to go back and look at all that. But I'm pretty sure that one skipped the deck of the of the platform there and it missed. And then my second one went up into his leg, um, like right up in the guts where you want to get everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of my partner shots, believe it or not, actually went through and clipped his heart. So he was bleeding out internally already. So, but he's still going, but he was still going, which people, which is an important thing. I think we can talk about that later. Yeah. Actually. Um, yeah, he kept going. Um, and so at that point, it, and this is all happening rapidly, rapidly, my partner says malfunction, he's going to get out of there. So I say, go, he, we basically do a quick bound. He goes down. I cover the dudes like basically stopping to move, but he's still got the gun pointed at us. I, go into OODA loop. The only moment of this whole thing that I wish I didn't do is I just totally went into OODA loop mood going down the stairs because I was afraid for the rest of my officers. And I just kept repeating. He's still got the gun pointed at us. He's still, cause I didn't want anybody else to rush up there. Yeah. Um, And the other thing was, is when we got down there, so now I'm pointing, I'm covering right on the staircase and we're starting to start communication with him and all that. But my partner, he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Not, not like bad, but he's like trying to work, right? He's like trying to get this. Trying to clear his gun. Well, he, he clears his gun. Okay. Then he tries to get the the shield out of the sergeant's car. Like he's doing what he's trained to do. Oh, gotcha. Okay. But okay. With my combat medic training and I've seen it, people get hit and don't know they're hit. Right. Like when it's fight or flight and you're fighting, you're going to fight. And if it's not like life altering, you could go quite a time in a fight and realize Oh, I'm hit somewhere like not important. Like I'm not bleeding out artillery, but I'm hit. And this goes back to you thinking he got shot once and then put two on this guy. Correct. Already. Correct. So because you don't know, this is still where my mind's at. Right. So I start hollering at other officers, like stop him in his tracks, stand him still check and, him. and top to bottom, check him. Right. And so, um, we check him. He's good. Um, at that point, I, and it's crazy things you think about, cause this is all very fast. I think I'm even thought about this before I got somebody to check them, but I thought about doing a tack load, right? <laughs> Training. Like okay, yeah, right. I, I was in a gunfight. There's a lull in the gunfight. I'm going to tack load. And my brain went, no dude, you fired twice in, you know, I run extended. So it's 19 plus one. I'm like, you got 18 rounds, dude. Like you're good. You're good. And so I like, I, I think in my body camera, you even see me go like this to reach down on my exterior carrier to do attack reload. And I'm like, no, like you're good. Right. So it's crazy what What's your process and what your brain goes back to, right? Like what is your brain referred to? Yeah. So they always say it, it defaults to your lowest level of training. Yes. 100%. Right? So man, I mean, that is, that's intense. I mean, so we haven't even finished yet. So he goes back downstairs. He's looking for the shield. You're yelling, Hey, stop that guy. Yep. Stop him. Let's make sure we check him out. Guy up. Guy up top is now bleeding out because yep. he's been hitting the heart, but you don't know that nope. he's been hitting the heart by my partner, hitting the leg. It went up into some guts up in his inner thigh. So, okay. So there was a, a third officer on the stairs. You guys have both kind of backed off. Yeah. Now. So the third officer and the Sergeant, as soon as shots ran out, they came down to get a, get a position of advantage. Like I said, I was literally just going up there cause I wasn't going to leave him. Like right. if I'm going down, he's going with me. Yeah. Um, so at this point, things kind of calmed down a little bit. I'm trying to do communication. You talked about all the jobs I've done before SWAT. I was on the crisis negotiations team. 
Um, everyone knows I'm a talker. So that was a good position for me, but wow. went to FBI school, uh, for that. For oh, shit. Yeah. It was 40 hour FBI course for that. It was cool. So my Sergeant comes over great Sergeant, right. And he comes over and he taps me and he just tells me like, I forget what he whispers now, but something like CNT or I need you. Like he basically told me like, I need you to flip the switch. And like, I took Word a deep breath yeah. and like, you can tell in my voice, I went from like, Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. Shit. To and like literally after that, um, he ends up my primary, the primary shooter, um, my partner, he gets sequestered, which is normally the mm -hmm. case. Well, at this point I'm knee deep and trying to negotiate with this guy. So kind of, yeah, kind of outside the norm. I spent like, I think the next 20 minutes negotiating with this guy because of my experience, right? I'm crisis intervention trained. I'm CNT trained as a negotiator. Meanwhile, he's bleeding out. So, well, we made attempts to go up the stairs, right? We went up the stairs and, you know, I, I'd said everything in the book. You know, I talked to this guy, like he's my friend. That's, mm -hmm. that's the way I look at it when I'm negotiating. Right. Like I'm talking to it. Like it's you dude, like it's Scott. And I want Scott to, to get out of this and not get hurt. So I'm pleading with him like, Hey dude, I'm a medic. I'll, I'll give you aid. We'll get you to our, our trauma one center. They save everybody. They're going to save your life. Just please don't do this. No one wants to hurt you. Everything. And I meant it. Like I honestly meant it. Like people say, Oh, that's all talk. That's all. No, I meant it. I don't want to see this man die. And I don't want to have a hand in this man dying. Like I want him to live. And so did that for about 20 minutes. Finally, I get pulled away. Um, they go to less lethal, get no reaction. And so they go in, they, uh, handcuff him, all that search him, recover the gun. His finger was still in the trigger guard. Mm. Um, so they had to pin him with the shield and be very careful, get that gun out. Um, and then obviously at this point, paramedics have been just itching to get in there. So as soon as they go code four and it's all clear, they rush up there. Uh, he did not make it. Um, and so at that point we just went into protocol, you know, get sequestered, which by the way, that is extremely stressful, probably like the most stressful experience of my career. Can't imagine, man. I know I did right. Right. I know I did what I had to do, but in this day and age, being a cop shooting anybody is like, okay, am I going to be on the media? Am I going to, you know what I mean? Like, how is this going to be portrayed? Right? Oh man. I, I, I'm just trying to process it all myself. And that is a, uh, that's a pretty compelling story. And I'm just thinking about from start to finish all the things you might hear, like as a civilian about all the bad things that, that police officers have to deal with out there on a daily basis. And oftentimes we don't even hear about it. So first off, it starts off as what, uh, what, to my knowledge is one of the da most dangerous situations you guys can walk into, which is a domestic violence call. Yep. Right. Yep. So it starts there. Number two, we have two witnesses that say the guy's got a gun. So that's, that's, a, that's obviously a big, a big problem. Yeah. That's exacerbated by the dudes all jacked up on whatever he's jacked up on, right. From a narcotics perspective or whatever. And you, you don't know this. We have a staircase, we have a platform, we have a hallways at the top, and ultimately there's shooting. So, and within that, you've got a malfunction of a weapon, right? And all the confusion that, that happens there. And then now stress on stress on stress on stress yeah. on top of all that, man. I mean, that is, you talk about how your brain sort of deals with all that in the moment. When, if it, when was the, was there a point where you kind of stepped back from all that after the negotiation, after he's been, you know, kind of scooped up and carted away and whatever, uh, and you guys get sequestered, how long before it kind of hits you? And what does that feel like? 
I think once I got sequestered, it hit me, you know, I, I, the, a different sergeant had showed up. Luckily we had some specialty stuff going on that night. So there was more officers and, and an additional sergeant there that normally aren't there. So we had a lot of resources. And so I know this sergeant and he, you know, we're like a family. So he knows me, he knows my now wife. So the first thing I said is call her. Cause I don't want her to get the call from somebody, somebody else because the word travels and people mean well. Right. But I don't want her to get the call. Yeah. From I can't imagine being somebody, that you know? Yeah. So, um, I said, call her, stand right in front of me and do it. I know I can't talk, talk to her. To her He's yeah. like, put in the number, no hesitation, calls her, talks to her, lets her know what's going on. Um, and I think that's where it hit me. I'm like, Oh crap, this is her worst nightmare too. Like she's at home in bed and she's getting that phone call. Right. So I think that's the first time it really hit me. We're making my wife cry over there, by the way. She's in the, in, in the studio and she's over there crying. So um, I'm not going to look over there because then I'll cry. Um, but she got that call. And I think that's when it really hit me like, oh man, like this is her worst nightmare too. You know, um, people don't realize it's really hard being with a cop, a firefighter, any first responder. And so I think that's where it really hit me. But then I jumped right back into worry mode because now I got to go. I can't talk to anybody about it. Right. When you're being sequestered, you can't talk to anybody about it. You can talk. I mean, we could talk about the football game on Sunday. We could talk about what we're going to do this weekend, but we can't talk about the event. And all you want to do, you just want to talk about it. Like, right. It's like this weight and you just want to, but you can't well, because it's also your family, right? Right. Well, I got to, uh, at some point, uh, one of the, uh, captains came in and he's like, Hey, have you called your family? And I said, no. And he says, okay, here, call your family. You know? Cause again, somebody always has to make sure you're not talking about the event. So Called my mom again, woke her up in the middle of the night. Hey mom. Hey, you don't sound right. She could hear in my voice. I'm okay. Then you have to relive the whole thing all over again. Oh, I relived it every second, even if I wasn't talking about it that night. So I tell her, Hey, I'm fine. You know? Um, but I was involved. There was a shooting. Um, I was a shooter. I am okay. And, uh, I'm going to be sequestered. It's going to be a long night and I'll call you on my way home tomorrow. It'll probably be in the morning because mind you, this is like nine, 10 o'clock at night. Right. I already know I'm going to get out seven, eight o'clock the next morning. So, um, you know, it was hard, but it's just, like I said, you want to talk about it, right? That natural, uh, human emotion is to talk about it, right? Like good or bad, like you share things with other human beings. Right. So that was it's, really it's hard. One of the, it's one of the, the few things we have as humans that separate us. Right. You know, it's, it's having those conversations and you want somebody to tell you, Hey, it's okay. You're okay. You did right. the right thing. You know, especially like your senior officers or people you look up to, you see them walking around cause they're investigating this, right? Like one of the detectives that came to investigate mine is one of my good friends. You know, I was in his wedding. He was just in my wedding and I'm looking at him and I'm looking at my other buddy who we hang out outside of work and I'm looking at them and they're looking at me and they, they know I'm tripping, right? Like I'm. So that's the whole thing here. Like, so now you're, you've, you're being processed and yep. you're having to process mm -hmm. and now other people are having to process that too. You know, they're having to process. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at them having these conversations and man, if I'm having that conversation with you, I don't care how well I know you, I'm walking on eggshells right now. Yeah. Like, just like, dude, is Greg okay? Yeah. Like, and, but you, can't, because I know I'm not really okay. Yeah. You can like you know? say like, I'm okay. Right. But it's like, you want, you want more than that. You want to tell them what happened and then be like, yeah, dude, you did the right thing. But you can't, you can't. So that was hard. Um, and of course, uh, you know, they process you. It's funny. You said the word process. Cause the other hard thing for me and all this is they photograph you. Right. And so they photograph me as I was right. Left, right, turn around. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting really upset because I felt like a criminal. 
like I oh, did like something you're going wrong. Through yeah. Shots. Well, dude, they took my gun out. Of course, they count your rounds. They take pictures of your firearm. They take your firearm. You know, and I. This looked, is not something you could prepare for. Really. No, not at all. And you know, um, my department does a really good job preparing us. So that's probably why I did so well with it. But it's still hard, right? Um, and I looked over at we have a peer support team. Looked over at one of my peer support. Uh, people. And I, I look up to her. She's a, um, been in the department a long time. She does a lot of good stuff for our department. And I look over at her and she goes, are you okay? I said, no. She said, why? I said, I feel like a criminal right now. And I do not like, like I was getting angry. Like I was pissed off. Seems very natural. I, it was a range of emotions, man. There's times where I thought I was going to cry and I'm not a big crier. Um, I thought I was going to cry. Um, there was times where I thought, you know, I was angry. There's times where I was scared. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest. I was scared. Like like I said, am I going to end up in the news? How's this going to work out? But long story short, uh, we finally were the last two to get interviewed. I'm the last one. I think I finished my interview at like seven 30 in the morning. So now I've been up all night, right? Nerves, stomachs turning, couldn't even eat kind of thing. Um, and then I go home and I try to sleep and can't, I think we sat in bed until how could you, <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess I could see like, just like Falling face first onto the couch yeah. and like the problem is being exhausted. for me, I was past that point. Right. So well, you've got adrenaline and cortisol running through you like crazy right now. So that's keeping you up. Right. But some people do. And some people go back to a hotel room or something while they're being sequestered and they sleep before they get interviewed, you know, but for me, I was like anxious, you know, so I wasn't going to sleep. So we, we talked to about, you know, 11 in the morning or so. And I think I slept maybe a handful full hours that day. And then, and then I started fielding calls, you know, I wanted to reach out to the homies um, I got a good tribe. I got a good village and, uh, they take care of me. So, um, people were coming by the house, people were DoorDash and DoorDash gift cards. You know, our, our community is outstanding. Um, and so I started fielding calls and just kind of like trying to get normal. Um, my department does a good job with mental health. So you, you automatically get a week, but me and my partner both ended up taking a second week, um, just so that we had time to go talk to our department therapist, which they have, I mentioned the peer support um, my department is very ahead of that. Luckily a Sergeant before my time, I got to work for him before he retired, but him and some other people put together our peer support team. Um, uh, Beth, um, I can't think of Beth's last name right now. Um, but Beth has her office, um, here in the Bay area. And she, if you're a cop listening to this and you, you probably know the name Beth, um, she's awesome. We go and see her. Um, she's amazing. Um, so you just said something there that strikes me and that is the, try to get normal <laughs> after being, having gone through what you went yeah. through, trying to get normal. I, I, I can't remember where I heard this. Um, I, I can't remember, but it was, it was, a, I think it was, it was a documentary in a, um, on combat veterans that had come back and they were seeking help for, you know, for mental and emotional help. And I think what the, the, the therapist was saying is, is, this is your normal now. And now you need to figure out how to deal with what the new, the new normal is. Yeah. Um, it's never going to be the same ever again after having gone through what you've gone through. Right. So um, you've, you've, you've just sort of talking about the, the, the process of seeing and getting some help and getting some people on your team and all of the things like all of the people, right? Like, so the people that you work with, the family that's around you, right? Your wife, um, fiance at the time, it's your wife, uh, the, the counselors, right. And then there's, there's a department that puts you in, there's, there's a middle person for, for, for all this stuff. And they're taking a village or a team to, to do this. Is there a book? Like, is there, is there, how does that, 
outlines how all this should work? Like, or is it just figuring it out as you go? There is a book. Uh, I forget the exact name of it and I should know it's uh I'll get it to you and you can link it in here or whatever, but it's uh, basically surviving law enforcement. It's a white and red okay. book. And if you're in law enforcement, you probably saw it at your Academy, but it's not just for you. It's for your, your spouses and your family too. Dude. I, I, I was actually being like, no, the, almost sarcastic no, and asking that question, but this literally is a li- thing. Literally somebody wrote a book about how to survive a career in law enforcement. Um, and then, like I said, uh, luckily the stigma, right. With people like Greg and Jesse, you know, my good friends over at the overwatch um, and all these other places is the stigma around men's mental health is going away. And I think I told you what we've talked about before. I was like that dude that was like, I ain't ever going to a therapist. Like, nah, dude, that ain't me. Right. But that stigma has gone away and there's things in place and I'm fortunate, right? Like to those listening, I'm not a combat veteran, but our combat veterans, why they're so broken is they didn't get the opportunity I did. Right. Like I had a traumatic incident. I got like two weeks off of work to deal yeah, with they it. have to go back I, to work the next yeah, day. I went and talked to a therapist. Like I got that time to process. These dudes don't get the time, right? They go right back out that Suck night up, or, or right. maybe they're still in it. You know right. what I mean? For that amount of time. And when your brain doesn't get that time to process, you can't it, just put it in a no, box, like, and put it on a shelf. It's a part of me, but I'm good. Right. Like I mean that, like I tell people all the time, like I got taken care of, I'm good. Right. I go back to work. Good. Right. But I can only imagine if I had to relive that night after night for weeks, months on end and not get the opportunity to deal with that. (sighs) Like to my veterans listening. I I get this. I I, I give them all the kudos. That's that's what I'm getting at, man. Cause people don't, give them enough respect. In my opinion, it's just not enough. There's never, there's never enough we can do for them ever, 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 ever. I hear this all the time too. And, and, and there's what happened there, but there's all the other things that may have happened previous to that, that we don't know about, you know? And so the way I've kind of heard this described is like you have a bucket or you have, maybe you're a guy that's got a bucket and you're, you're, or a glass of trauma. That's your glass of trauma or your glass of things that you've had to deal with and it's half full, yeah, right? Definitely. And you deal with another one, you deal with another one. And at some point there's, there's a tipping point where that glass yeah. is over full or this, I've, I've, there's the box and the five pound box that you try to right. put the glass, 10 pounds, the bucket, 10, yeah. box, 10 pounds of shit into, and it ends up overflowing. Right. Would you get the analogy? But what about the people that are coming into it already that have a full glass right. and then you just dump a little bit onto it. So everybody's like a uh, threshold is a little bit different or could be a little bit different. So, yeah. you know, I hear what you're saying. Like you're, you feel good, but what about all the people that maybe came into these, come into these situations, whether combat veterans or police officers, uh, you know, law enforcement, first responders, dispatchers, all of these, t- these types of people that have this accumulation over time outside of the job. Right. right. And then come into the job. Not that they, they're not handling the job well, but this shit, this is why I was asking you, yeah. I mean, you just went through some three very, very intense incidents. Um, obviously this last one being the most from what I can gather and that just that piling on to that piling on. Um, yeah. I mean, it, that that's hard, right? Because that's what uh, changed me in my perspective towards mental health is that I started this job a couple years in a couple little incidents, you know, a buddy of mine got an, uh, OIS officer involved shooting. And I was like, first on scene, uh, I had lost a baby, uh, on a call. Right. And I was the only person on my crew that had a kid, like not even the Sergeant had a kid. 
And so like, I'm the primary officer. So I'm stuck in this room with this, you know, infant who's dead as a parent. Like that was hard, you know? And so it's all these little things. And for me, it wasn't one big incident because a lot of the quote unquote stuff people say was crazy in my career was more, more recent. Right. But it was all these little incidences that were critical incidences, but maybe not like a shooting or anything, but they kept piling up in my box. And then that's when I was like, I had like a mental, I hit a wall. Right. And luckily I had a good friend. Um, and he basically forced me into the therapist's office at like two in the morning and she came in and we sat down and not a lot of people know this. So I'm letting secrets out here, but that's fine. Um, hopefully my friends support me and watch this and then they'll know this story. But I got forced into her office and we talked for like two hours. I stayed the night at my friend's house and I went and saw her for the next couple of weeks and it changed my life. And it's because we need to talk about things right. and that whole, like I'm a warrior and yeah, you can be a warrior and still acknowledge that you're a human being and have feelings. You know what I mean? Um, and that really changed my stigma on mental health, you know? And so these people coming in with those buckets to get back to what we're talking about already full, I think it's helping people realize that maybe they have some their stuff in their bucket yeah. that they don't know. Mm. I, I remember specifically telling the therapist that I was talking to, like, it's just like sand in an hourglass, right? It just, it's, it's constantly going and now it's just getting more and more full. Right. Um, but I, we talked about it, uh, before we started day two, like life events. Um, she comes in the therapist and she does things and she gives you a packet and you fill it out and you check boxes for life events, right? Like, just Has divorced. This happened? Yeah. Well, just recently, like it's like, I think it's in the last three months or six months. Has this happened? Check it. And if you check even one box, she's like, you should come see me. And the last time she did that, she checked like, I checked like six boxes. Right. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, you need to come see me like right now. And we were just talking about it. just in the last three weeks, I've, I've had some family stuff going on that was traumatic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, you know, my wife lost her dog of a long time. Her grandmother died right before our wedding. You're ticking uh, boxes. Checking boxes, man. And you know what I said? I got to make an appointment. And that's what I did. I, I'm, 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 you know, working on my schedule is kind of crazy. So I actually need to reach out to her um, and and figure out a time to get into my schedule again. But I need to go see her again. Just you know? having that resource, though. Well, even just getting married is a and, box. And, and, but also being aware that, like, there's these boxes, man. Right. And, and they're filling up, like, and real some fast. Of these, some of these boxes you don't think about. Like, divorce is an easy one, right? Because that's like... Stressful. Yeah, you would think like it made right. de- a or, or death, death in the family, family. divorce. Those are very or stressful. Some of the things in this on this list are getting married, right? Like we moving, I'm sure has got to be on there. Like maybe yeah, changing, yeah, changing, changing locations, yeah. changing jobs, even getting promoted, right? Because now you got more responsibility and more stress. So those are like positive but, things, but, but it fills the bucket. Fills the bucket, yeah. and those and that I think that's where people need to realize like good things can fill your bucket too, and that's okay. But that's when you need to like realize like hey. I need to, and even it could be as simple as just going out with the boys, you know, not drinking, not covering up with alcohol or drugs or anything, but just going out and talking to the boys or talking to your significant other, like good communication is huge. Like, you know, I talked to her about my mental health and, you know, these are things you learn in the process. You do, but like every good trainer, right. It's because they've experienced something and they're trying to teach you. So that way you're prepared for it when it happens. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole thing of a good instructor, right? Like that's why these combat veterans come back and teach. Cause they've had experiences that we don't have. So we don't make the same mistakes. They recognize that and they want to get back. Right. And, yeah. and that's the thing what all of us need to start doing with mental health is if you have learned something, put it out there because I hope somebody's listening to what I'm saying right now. And if it's even just one person and they're like, I'm going to go talk to somebody. That's fantastic. You know, uh, Greg and Jesse's motto and is one more is one less. Right. right. 
And that's the truth. I mean, I've had people I know, you know, commit suicide and, um, if we can prevent one more, I'm all for it. So it's not easy coming up here and saying some of the stuff, but I get it. if it makes a difference, it makes a difference. I, you know, I can totally appreciate that. And, and that's, that's trickled over. We're just talking about being a coach or being a trainer and the things that you're doing. Um, I mean, now you have all this, there's this extra stuff that you can provide, but you've been doing this for a while. You've just been doing it in a different capacity. And I know you, you work you work with uh, the Overwatch guys up there. We mentioned Jesse and Greg was good guys. Yeah, uh, I, I can't. I'm sorry. I know I shot them out a few times. No, but I've no. known Greg for years, and that's a guy that I met doing firearms I'll, training. Yeah, and, and I'll, give, I'll give him September 24th. Overwatch Collective is doing a fundraiser to help provide funds for people in the first responder community. Get out there and get some get some help. Um, and they also provide a platform or a forum to be able to find somebody maybe outside of the EDP type of thing. Um, if you're not fortunate, if you're not you're fortunate enough to have the type of help and, and support that you have yes. inside your your particular agency and department now, and within your family and all the other things, as you said, it takes a village. Uh, if you don't have that, and you just need somebody to talk to, they provide a great platform to maybe get connect with somebody that number that isn't necessarily a therapist, but has had those experiences and, or can help you find resources for you to make you feel more comfortable about it. So you do start talking about it. We still, we start emptying that bucket out a little bit, Definitely. start acknowledging it. But, uh, so yeah, that dinner is going to be fun. Yeah. It'll yeah. be a good time. I'm going to be there. Yeah. I'm yeah, going to be there. Gonna Me be and there. the wife will be there. I donated some, uh, individual first aid kits to be raffled off in some of my trainer kits as well. There's going to be a cigar rolling bar. I mean, if, if you're a dude, you had me at cigar rolling. Yeah, if you're a dude's yeah. dude, it, it, there's going to be some there for you. They're, they're giving away hunts. Yeah, we'll I mean, get, they're giving away a staccato or the raffling office. I, I know. I, I started seeing some of the stuff that's coming out of them. Like I'm giving away some memberships and some, some coaching programs and things like that. I'm like, dude, I feel like, I feel like, like there's gotta be more I can do. Yeah. But you, you, you just mentioned the, um, you just mentioned the, the, the first aid kits and the, the training kits that you have. So yeah. let's talk about some of the stuff you brought today because, and I, and then I actually have some stuff that I want to ask you. Like I, I'm, I brought a few of the, the kits that I carry. Um, and, uh, actually, why don't we start with that? Actually, like, like why don't I hand you a couple of my kits yeah. and maybe you can critique them. Cause yeah. I think it'll lend context to maybe what you have going on here. Let's we can talk it. about it. So, so hold on. So I got a couple things. So first thing I do is like this backpack basically goes everywhere with me. Like I, this is my work pack. Like it, it's constantly with me. It's got my life in it. Right. So, um, it's got my, my laptop. I can run my business from, it has fluid for me to drink. It has food. It has, you know, my ID cash, all that stuff. Um, it's also where I would carry a firearm if I wasn't carrying it on body. Um, but I always, I don't go anywhere without some type of an IFAC. So, I actually have it kind of cut up into two spaces here okay. for a reason. One, so on the top pocket here, I have um, some basics in the top. So I carry a, a TQ or tourniquet in the top, carry Perfect. my shears and some Israeli gauze. Awesome. Um, and then in the side, um, and and I, the reason I have it like this is because if I want to leave the backpack somewhere and I just want to, you know, I just want to throw it into my jacket pocket or something like that. I have like a pocket, Perfect. a pocket kit. I'll, get out the other ones in a second. So we can go through that one. And then I brought um, two other kits that I carry. Um, one is like an ankle kit and I'll explain to explain to you why I like it and why I don't like it. There's the pros and cons there. I'm hoping you can. Yeah. Maybe I got plenty some for that. On that. I've tried those. Yep. Yeah. And then um, I also have like, this would be a kit that I usually like would have 
This basically is what I have in my vehicle. I was going to say that looks like a vehicle kit. Yeah, so I have I every vehicle. I have three vehicles. It. I have three vehicles and um, I have a kit like this in every vehicle. So um, I want to kind of go maybe have you critique kind of my setup. Well, just to start with your backpack, yep. like if you want to hold that up yep. again, like the fact that you have the, the medical is on top of your bag and you've got this zipper for the people listening. It's just like a half moon zipper on top of his backpack, but it's on the very, very top of his backpack, which for starters, that's the best. Your medical equipment, hands down, first thing, it has to be readily available right? You don't want it in the bottom of your bag where you're digging it out, or you don't want to move it around where you don't know where it's at. You want to keep it in the same, you want to have a SOP, right? A standard operating procedure of where it is, what's in it, and that it's easily accessible and quickly accessible. So kudos to you like right off the top for having it on the top of your bag. Cause that's killer right there. Like not killer. That's actually the opposite. It's saving <laughs> people, but you know what I mean? But the fact that you have that stuff up there and I, you know, from here, I can see that you said you had the, the tourniquet. I can see right here. It's a cat T, which is, yep. I mean, there's a lot of good tourniquets out there, but that was the first one approved by the T triple C committee. It's what yeah. the, what I used in the army. It's all I carry. You know, you got shears, you can't treat what you can't see. Right. So cutting those clothes off, getting them what I call trauma naked getting those clothes off. There's wounds, bullets go in, they do weird stuff and come out weird places. So you see a gunshot wound to the chest, it might've exited right. an armpit or something. So the shears, not a lot of people carry shears, believe it or not, you know? Uh, um, and so I think that's awesome. And then the Israeli is one of my favorite. I actually brought an old expired one here to, the, if we wanted to open it okay. or whatever. But uh, the things I like about those is the half moon in them. So right. those are killer because it provides uh Sorry, I'm making a lot of noise in the mic here because I'm opening up this packaging. And a lot of times, to be honest with you, in my med kits, I will Oops. I will take this out of here. Okay. So because if you look, it's still wrapped. It's got a you got another wrapper. You see yeah. how hard that? I mean, unless you rip it down the side, you yeah. But you're, if you you're get, a little bigger, if you're than wet, me, so you could if probably you got blood it. on your hands, you're sweaty. Yeah got to go a second time so this is still sealed so i'll usually just break it down just to that you know what i mean and then it's got an easy tear tears right open but I'll, I'll open this up but the thing i like about these and there's nothing wrong with trauma dressings i still use those but you got the the pad here so i'll show you in there but this half moon is on the israeli is what's really cool because as you start to wrap you can come through and then bring it back over on itself and it's hard to do and it's not on somebody but essentially it comes back over the wound. And then as you wrap over it, it applies direct pressure, you get right? Some real good purchase. Cause on your there. best friend. And the number one thing for any bleeding trauma is what direct pressure. I, I was always told hold pressure three to five minutes, right? Like that's your number one go-to. And the other thing I like about these Israelis is there's a, a, a little tab in here. Have you opened one of these? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. what's cool is it holds it together. Cause a lot of times when you open gauze or something, it, just, it goes yeah. and it goes across the room. It's in the it's dirt. Like now. In the box. Yeah, yeah. It's in the dirt. If you're on a dirt range, like the California range day, it was like moon dust. You remember uh, that? Uh, it got, do I remember it. I'm traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> if this was to fall on that moon dust, now yeah. I'm stuffing your moon full of dirt right? right but this holds it together and just easily tears as you go right so that's kind of cool um, it, yeah it keeps it organized yeah. i actually so it's interesting you brought that it was really guys because i've been like in my in my car kit i carry two different sizes i have the six inch band and the four inch mm -hmm. um to um just depend here's my rationale on that i'm going back to the tourniquet in there and keeping it on top i also call i recently started calling a rat tourniquet as well because of two reasons one uh my step my uh my stepdaughter is she's very tiny. Yep. Very tiny. And, and these soft tourniquets, yep. They're just not going to work on her. They're just not, I mean, her, her arms are <laughs> poor thing. She'll grow into them, but she's just, she's tall and lanky. So but I also have my, my I dog. Say, I was going to say, there you go. You just have my dog. Yeah. hundred percent. 
the rat teas, I not a big fan of them, but great for kids and great for dogs because you can get onto the tiniest. I mean, I've wrapped them around wires, a wire on wire and created pressure, right? So you nailed it. I mean, absolutely what I would, if you would ask me, what do you think about the rat? I would have been like, great for kids, great for dogs. Yeah. That's it. That, so that's, I, and I never thought about carrying one until even with, with, the, with the little one until the dog came along. I was like, ah, this, I definitely need these. And yeah. then I just thought, why wouldn't I, why wasn't I carrying one of these? Um, yeah. So going back to the gauze, so I have the gauze or the Israeli gauze in my, in my, um, backpack, my backpack. which is great. Cause I like a mix too. Like I carry a couple of these in my trauma bag that goes on with me with call outs, but right. I also carry like the North American rescue style, like the ETD, the emergency trauma dressing, same thing. It just doesn't have this half moon. That's hard plastic, but it creates pressure and it adheres to itself. When you're done wrapping, it keeps it wrapped. I carry a bunch of those in there. One of my IFACs has an Israeli one of my other IFACs has a ETD. They both work great. Um, both do the same thing, doing direct pressure. The Israelis are just cool because of this half moon. Okay. So, all right. So that covers sort of the gauze and stuff, kind of positioning or whatever. So this is like my car kit. And this is what, you know, there's, again, there's one in every vehicle. It's easily accessible. Things I'm thinking when I'm out in the car are not necessarily gunshot wounds. I'm thinking right. vehicle accidents, um, you know, and, or, you know, severe bleeds. Somebody gets, we're out playing, hiking, you know, whatever, we're on the beach, somebody falls down, gets cut severely by glass or something like right. that. However, I want to feel like I'm ready for just about anything given my training experience and, right. my, and my knowledge. So I don't know, man, open that thing up and tell me what you think. So again, you got shears right here on the outside, which is great, right? You can't uh, treat what you can't see. looks like you got some pouches here for uh, tourniquets. I always just like to run. Oh, you got one right up yeah. here. Um, so you got the soft tourniquet, which is good. Um, easy accessible, right? Like my trauma bags here on the floor, the rubber band. To yeah. The you outside. got like 18 that, of them on yeah, there. That's <laughs> what I, that's what I was taught in the army. You attach them to the outside rubber bands. Cause when you go to pull one off the rubber bands break and the tourniquet comes with you. Right. Yeah. So, but, uh, again, tourniquets, I see them all the time. They're buried in the bottom of the IFAC, right? Seconds matter if you're putting on a tourniquet, it needs to be on the outside, which is what these pouches are for. But generally the pouches from one of these days, I'm going to make my own pouch. I swear. Uh, they're really tight. They're tight and they're hard to get them in. They're hard to get them out. And that's no why. Them. And then, but I mean, you did good. You found a clip, right? Mm -hmm. You found something and you made it work. So you got your soft tourniquet there, which is awesome. Um, I always tell people in any kit, either on your person or in your kit, I try to carry at least two, right? There's another one inside. Awesome. There yeah. you go. Oh, see now what's really great here is that your kit needs to be easy to see, right? Like if you're just throwing everything in a fanny pack, that's great. But this kit here, I just opened it up and I can see everything. SWAT tees, not the best tourniquet, but they have their place. I did a wet lab, uh, at attack medic school I did and they had, it was on a pig. It was killed humanely. It was going to get killed anyways for a PETA. If you're listening, it was all <laughs> humane, but, uh, I did a wet lab. And there was just a nub of one of this pig's legs left. I did my damnedest to put on a cat tee because it's alive. They're pumping blood through it. So you get right. squirt the whole nine, right? So I'm cupping my hand on it, squirting all over me. I'm trying to get this cat tee on. You know, one thing that got it to stop the SWAT, the SWAT tee, because it adheres on itself. So yeah. I, it's not my go-to um, tourniquet, there for that, but that it has a purpose. Situation, and yeah. what a lot of people don't realize, it makes an awesome pressure dressing. So if you got a big wound, you wrap it and then wrap this guy around it. And now you've got the that much more pressure. amount of pressure on there. That's actually why I put it in there. It was less about stopping from, you know, like a, for a regular 
uh, tourniquet because yeah. like, there's another one of those yeah. in there and there, there's I, there's I think there's at least one or two rat you, tees in yeah there. you got two rat tees um, but that was for the pressure piece because that's what I recognized that that's where the real value in my yeah. head came but from but if for some reason you are like let's say uh, off-roading side-by-sides I love side-by-sides right how many videos have you seen on the internet oh, where somebody like loses yard and, sailing and if it just happens to be right at the shoulder the cat team may not do the job if you got a nub like a nub the SWAT team might be your go-to. Yeah, gotcha. Nub. Um, and then it looks like you've got some just uh, rolled bandage. And again, uh, size. This is just the the bigger stuff. Like what I have here is just normal, like uh, uh, Curlex, right? Uh-huh. This is what we put in our uh, kits at work. But that's because there's a bag like this big, right? right. But it's cheap. This is like 60, 70 cents. This, yes. is, this is probably pretty close to that price where when you get something like what's in my kit, which is the, uh, the compressed from North American, it's great when you're trying to fit in a small place, right. but it's like a dollar 20, right? Yeah. It's like double the cost. So, you know, Hey, a lot of people don't realize how expensive it is to put together a really good kit. Oh no. And that's the problem is people go, Oh, I want to build a kit. And then I tell them the price. And I go, uh, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, um, it could save your yeah, life. Yeah, but they'll, they'll spend $1,800 on a fucking handgun. Or they'll go buy five ARs, <laughs> you know? And it's like, this will save your life. You're more likely to use this in your lifetime numerous times than you are to shoot somebody with uh, your gun. Yeah, I mean, that's, the, uh, that's exactly the way I look yeah. at it. Yeah. Um, gloves, which are great. Um, you never know what somebody has. You know, I always tell my boys uh, on the team and my patrol officers, like, I'm not going to waste time putting on gloves for you guys. I'm going in. Um, but... Joe Schmo, I don't know, like suspect, like, or a victim, just a normal citizen. I don't know what they have. So please. um, Yeah. yeah, Gloves are important, but you can do stuff while you're putting on gloves, right? You can glove up one hand and check for a pulse, right? You can glove up one hand and, and put your hand over a chest wound, right? And Mm -hmm. seal it, right? Mm -hmm. You're sealing it. You're doing the same thing as a chest seal with a gloved hand, right? So you can still work as you're putting on gloves. I'll put these on as I'm walking up to somebody. I'm talking to them. Hey, I'm so-and-so I'm here to, you know, or just calling out obvious injuries. You can start putting these on. I will say for the listeners, they're blue. My department gives out black gloves. And let me tell you a thing about black gloves. They're cool. They're tactical, right? Uh, But I try to carry a separate pair of tan or blue gloves on SWAT callouts. They don't always make it in my pocket. Worst case, I have black, but I try to go with tan or blue. And the reason being is black gloves, you can't tell what the fluid is. Can't see the color. Can't see the color. So now you're wiping it. Now you're wiping your hands on the, yeah on the ground trying to look for blood. It's the same thing under low light, right? Like white light, you can see blood, but what is the other source that you're always taught to use? Red light. Yeah. Right. Cause red on it doesn't, red. it doesn't affect your, your, uh, night vision. Right. Um, but what happens is red on red, you can't tell. So my light is white, red, and blue. Got it. Cause blue, you can see blood, but again, kudos for the blue gloves. Cause then when you're raking, right. When you're looking for wounds, you're, you're doing a raking motion with your hands as you go head to toe, looking for blood. It's going to show up a lot better on blue gloves. Um, it looks like you got some quick clot. Yeah. So quick clot. I'm a new fan. Yes of it. or uh, yes yeah, or no. You know, I'm a new fan of it. Um, being in the military, I was like hard, hard pressed on, um, on the combat gauze and combat it, gauze is great. Um, quick clot though is, uh, slightly cheaper. So if you are trying to do it on a budget, it will work. Um, this, this one here is a little bit smaller. If you look at one of the combat gauzes, if I pull them out, you're going to get a little bit more, uh, we'd have to look at the yardage here. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty small. So uh, this is two foot. So, uh, you're not going to get as much as the combat gauze. I would have to pull one out to look, but I believe it's like three or four feet. I would have to pull it out to look, um, but it works, right? It's, it's better than uh, just normal gauze. And for those of you that don't know, like, Hey, what's quick clot, what's combat gauze, right? What's the difference? 
standard gauze, you can still pack a wound with standard gauze. But the cool thing about quick claw and combat gauze, why it makes it so expensive is because there's agents in there that help stop the bleeding, right? It helps the bleed stop quicker. And I won't get into the science of it and all that because hundreds of people, hundreds of videos can explain it better than I can because I'm no doctor, but that's where the price difference goes. So again, you wouldn't want to go out there and just right. wrap a normal wound with your quick claw or your combat gauze. That's what your standard gauze is for. This is for more packing wounds and junctionals. And I got a cool saying, don't let me forget to remember how to use this stuff and when, but, uh, quick clots, not for everything, but you got that in there. What else you got back here? All right. Is it okay if I pull everything out? Yeah, man. Such go a, ahead. Yeah. Man. Such we, a pain in the ass. No, we can get it all back, back in, in there. All right. yeah. Um, so yeah, you just got some just sponges, some, basic, yeah. some alcohol, sterile pads. Yep. Some four, basically four by fours. I carry about eight to nine four by fours. They're just good for just putting on baby wounds mm-hmm. or starting to hold pressure before you start wrapping. And then it looks like you just got some more bandage Regular, there. Yeah. Chest seals are always good. Um, chest seals is one of those things that like, especially if, if you are dealing with gunshot wounds, you'll run out of these real quick. So just keep that in mind. Reason being is because usually generally what goes in the front comes out the back. Right. So big rule. If you find a wound on the front, get a gloved hand on it, put the seal on there. But as soon as you get a seal on it, you need to you check, check the back. The back. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said earlier, bullets do weird things. Like I've seen them go in the chest and come out in the armpit. Right. But the problem is, is if you get, two or three gunshot wounds in a chest and they're spread out far enough that you could, you can't get one, one seal more than one hole. Right. Yeah. So you got to put two seals on the front. Well, there's one in each of these and now you go to the back and there's two holes in the back and they're spread apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so another thing you can do is you've got the full size here for the camera. This is the full size. They also make a compact, um, which the trainer is a full size, but I have some compact ones uh, somewhere I can show you, but they're just a little smaller doesn't cover as much surface area, but you can get a lot more of them in your pack. Gotcha. If you're trying to keep okay. your pack small. Um, and then you got the two rat tees, which again, uh, they serve a purpose, right? Uh, kids, dogs for dogs. These are awesome. Um, I've never had to do any work on a dog, but I was going to ask you about that. Now, with your, I haven't with your military training. Now, I haven't, it. um, you know, I will be the first to tell you, I never went down range. Okay. So I never went overseas, but even at work with our canines, fortunate enough, I've never had to do any work on a canine. That's good news. Um, I don't want those guys getting shot. No. Um, and luckily we got like 24 hour vets close by. So chances of me working on a dog are very few, but they are good. A lot of our canine handlers carry these on their vests, on mm-hmm. their exterior carriers. A um, little bit of duct tape. I love it. High speed tape, right? As they call it in the military, you can fix a lot of stuff with duct tape. I, haven't my, I, I wouldn't have <laughs> gotten this far in life without duct tape. Right. So this is a little thing that people like look over, but you can get these little pre-rolls from like North American mm-hmm. Rescue. And I keep mentioning North American Rescue. That's, but, where, the, that's where half that shit came just, from. Just man. to put it out there before I forget is you can buy anything on Amazon these days. You can buy anything on the internet, but reputable stuff. There are fake tourniquets out there. We've seen them. And they snap, they, they, they break. break. The windlass. So buy from a reputable source, right? Go right. to North American Rescue. They're awesome. If you're a cop or first responder, you can set up an account and get a discount. Um, or just somebody you know. Like, I'm not going to sell you bad stuff, right? Right. You know where I'm going to get it from? North American Rescue. So right. I'll just send gotcha. you over there. But buy from a reputable place. Um, and then it looks like you got a four inch, uh, ETD or emergency trauma, uh, dressing here and two Israelis. I mean, you're pretty good in set, but I will say this. So something to think about, especially cause this is a truck kit, right? Hit me. So when you're thinking about a truck kit or a boat kit, think of the, like you said, the stuff outside the, the stabbings or the shootings, I would make this kit slightly bigger if you can swing it. Oh yeah. It's easy um, to do. It's in the truck. Sam splints. 
uh-huh. broken limbs, especially if you're out in the middle of nowhere, right? Resetting a, a injury, don't recommend it. But if you're out in the middle of nowhere, you get one try at it. And if you can't do it, leave it. But if you can reset it and stop a bleed or something um, and then get it splinted, that could save somebody's life. So maybe just one Sam splint. And if this big was, this bag was slightly just taller, mm-hmm. you could just slide them in the back. My Sam splints, they're in the back of my pack. Gotcha. So they're actually up against my back. I don't feel them because they just lay flat. Yep. And some of them you can even fold over. So if it was this was even a little bigger this way, you could fold it over, put it in here. But a big thing, hypothermia. You can get hypothermia in the middle of the summer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, given circumstances, especially if you lay somebody down on a cold surface and yep. you've got them trauma naked, you've now cut all their clothes off. That cold concrete or grass, it's literally going to suck the heat and the life from somebody. Mm-hmm. So putting them back on their clothes, survival blanket. So, so it's interesting you mentioned that, like it's not in the kit, but all the consoles and all the vehicles have like three or four of those, those little okay. mylar things in there. But yeah. again, if you go to your lowest form of training and you and grab this kid and you don't and they're, have and they're, you. Yeah. Or this is what you take with you. And you just yeah, talked to me earlier about a 15 mile bike ride, right? Yeah, you were at your turnaround. Right. If this, if you take this on your bike ride and the, and the, those, yeah, it doesn't do you any good. The, in the blankets car. are in the car. Yeah, it doesn't do you, any you good. go on a hike. So that's just something to think about because they're small too. They're like the size of your quick clot, you know, maybe just a little thicker and they're a dollar or two on North American rescue, right. put like two or three of those in there. Um, just something to think about. Um, but otherwise, yeah, this, this kit is awesome. I give you kudos. Uh, and I can tell that you did it with budget in mind. So you can mm-hmm. prove like it, you don't need to buy the fancy S rolled stuff. Does it have its purpose? Like the S rolled gauze from North American rescue. That's $2. Yes. That is what's in my trauma bag at my feet that I take on every SWAT call out. Why? Because it's efficient and it's quick, but it's expensive. So in the little personal kits that I build for my wife's car and my car, I have the same stuff. It's stuff that hand me downs from AMR, or, you know, stuff that the hospital says, Oh, here, you can have this. That's kind of how this came together. Cause if you get on and you start looking at, okay, so I want to, I want a kit in my car. Of course there, there are companies out there that make anything you want. Like you want the, the smallest kit, the budget kit for 20 bucks all the way up to, you know, five, 600 bucks, you know, 5,000. Yeah. You can, depending on what you're doing, you can get a pack like mine. That's fully kitted out from North American rescue. I think it's like 5,600 bucks. I have the shit in there. Wouldn't know what the hell to do with. Right. But honestly, a lot of people tell me that, but like, there's some stuff in my bag. You'd probably be like, okay, I don't know. But most of it is just an IFAC built out for more people. Gotcha. It's just more volume instead of just having the four inch ETD. I have the six, the eight, I have the abdominal, right. Instead of just having one thing of chest seals. I have compact. I have full size. I have multiple, right? Gotcha. So all a big kit is, is yeah, just there's some, more. there's some specialty tools in there, but it's just it's like it's, repeats. You just don't leave anything out and you do multiple quantities of everything. Gotcha. My bag, I tell people all the time, it's just a big IFAC. It's a giant IFAC just meant for two, three, four for you bodies. And for me. And yeah, for, exactly. Yeah, everybody so in a car. it's not as scary as it sounds, you know, it's just more stuff. Gotcha. So Get some blankets in there. Um, I, I would. If you already have them, just find a place to stuff them. And to be honest with you, you'd be amazed once you start like stuffing stuff. Oh man, this is giving me anxiety right now because I hate what, every time I have to oh, dump don't worry out. About it, I know, but every time I have to dump out my IFAC, I'm like, oh, here we go again. I got to pack it <laughs> it's in. It's all good, man. Um, it's all good. We won't, we won't empty these, but I do want to talk about these because- Those are awesome. Well, what company is that? So this is Live the Creed. Live the Creed. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So uh, I, I love it because uh, it's basically like a- it looks like your old man's wallet. Yeah. Right. It's just stuff like just it's stuff, stuff full of it, business cards yeah, from 1970, the and vacuum salesman. And, 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 you know, his rewards cards from, from, uh, from Lake Tahoe or yeah, whatever yeah, from yeah. five years ago that I'll never use again. 
But basically, in essence, what it has in here is sort of smaller versions of what you just looked at. There's some gauze in here. There's some gloves in here. There's a chest seal in here. Um, and uh, there is a um, that S-rolled gauze is in here. And the reason that's Size. in here, not in there. Exactly. Because it's com compact. And this is, again, like I love having this because it sits in my bag. And if I wanted, if I'm going, if I'm leaving the bag and I going somewhere and, and see here the that compact chest seal i was talking about that's what this is yeah exactly it's just the compact it's the white package and it's just smaller and again it's just to fit more um the only downside is you lose some surface area coverage right. but at the end of the day if you've got some sort of tourniquet and a lot of times you can carry it on your person in your pocket or whatnot mm -hmm. so it's quick and easy to get to people ask me all the time what's the bare minimum everyone likes to use the word bare minimum i hate it right but if i had to say what the bare minimum is some sort of gauze some sort of combat gauze and probably chest seals for most traumas, not medical, but for most traumas, you could probably do something with that. Okay. Okay. Especially if we're talking like cuts, knives, gunshot wounds, like the stuff that most of this audience is probably thinking, but even the stuff they're not thinking about, that's like the bare minimalist Got that it. I would carry now doing more than that's always great. But you know, this kit has that I see S rolled gauze. Uh, I even see some, is these band-aids? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. The front of, I call it the boo-boo kit. I keep the boo-boo kit mm -hmm. in the front zipper because I use it more than anything. Right. I use that more than anything. There's liquid band-aid and a bat is a yeah. block bag full of band-aids. So when the team's like, Hey, I need a band-aid. It's right in front. They don't go digging through my bag and, and empty everything. Yes. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. I have you here. Yeah. Uh, I have a funny story about that too. Uh, we we're on a call once and one of my teammates was uh, starting to do medical and he's throwing my stuff everywhere. We all have masks on, right? We've gassed this guy. And I yell at, I look at him dead in his face. He's like throwing the people are throwing tourniquets at me, like trying to, they're all being helpful, but it's like, at some point I just kind of take over, you know, and yeah. deem one person to help me and everybody else go away. Yeah. And I, this was a learning experience of where I needed to be a chief. Cause this was now my thing. And I need to be like, you're going to help me and everybody else, you know, go away. And uh, I looked at him dead in his face. And I looked at him and I said, stop yard selling my shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, I, I went up to him after I'm like, dude, I'm really sorry, man. I was like, you were just like shit was flying everywhere. And it, it, you were looking for stuff, but I know exactly where everything is. And that again, goes back to that being prepared, being prepared. And like I said earlier, those SOPs, knowing what you have, where it is and how to use it, because you need to get right to it. Right. And so it's important to know your own stuff. Um, let's, just, let's just, talk about that guy. Yeah. Just last, last thing about this. Yeah. So, so this is not my favorite. So this is an, for those that aren't walk, watching, this is a, a, basically an ankle worn IFAC, right? And it has basically all the same stuff in it that my belt worn IFAC would have in it. Right. It's just, it, it's on my ankle and I'll tell you why I have it on, why, why I bought it because I started training concealed mm -hmm. a lot more. Um, and I wasn't out on the range for hours and hours yeah. at a time. I'd go out and get some practice done and I wanted to have something on me. And yeah. what I found myself doing was stuffing shit in my pockets. Like I've got a tourniquet hanging on my pocket here and like, yeah. you know, I don't, you don't have a dump pouch on. So if you're moving mags around from it, things were just it, getting in it's the way. It's the curse of the BDUs, right? Yes. Like you, you get used to having BDUs and you're like, I'm just going to stuff everything in my BDUs. Right. Next thing yeah. you know, it's your pockets are full of shit yeah. and you're, you're trying to be mobile. So that's why I bought it. And I have to, and I have to say, I do like, it for that but obviously it's problematic for reasons as well in terms of accessing it so maybe you could kind of talk through some of yeah, the, like, some of the downsides like anything else somebody developed it because it's got a purpose so what i tell people is know the purpose and if it works for you it works for you but don't try to make it something that's not right like for me the problem with this is i I'm a Bay Area kid, right? So I grew up on every kind of music you can catch me in Jordans or Nike's one day but the next day I, I might be wearing cowboy boots yeah 
this doesn't fit down in my boot and it don't fit over my boot. So it goes out the window. Right. Mm-hmm. The other thing I found is like, if you're wearing shorts, you look like you're on probation or parole and you got an ankle <laughs> monitor on. Right. So I, it kind of, you're only going to really wear it like out in public. If you got jeans, oh, on. I'm not wearing and, that shit in public. That's right. purely range. Type. So yeah. it, the thing with that is it gets dirty. Right. And stuff starts wearing. So now you're wearing on your cat. Right. And mm-hmm. you're rubbing on it, especially doing positional shooting, which you all yep. should be. Yep. Right. And then things start to just wear and tear, you know, like you haven't yet, but like the corners of these chest seals, they'll start to rip and tear. And now you're, you're dealing with equipment. That's not it's ideal. compromised. Yeah. So these are good for like, if you have like tailored pants, like let's say you're uh, listening and I'm trying to hit the broad audience here. Let's say you're doing executive protection yeah. um, and you want to wear something, but your suit and tie. Right. So you're probably concealing a firearm under your jacket, but what do you do for medical? This is an option. Um, if your pants are tailored for it, right. Cause you don't want to print it still. Cause right. you stand out. And the whole point is you're not <laughs> supposed to stand out, but it, it's hard not to print this giant kit, but if you can get it to work um, right. or doing like all my battle belts and my swap belt have the uh, LBX or LBT that center pouch. Um, I like those blue force makes a, a center pouch that, you know, you can pull across it. It's an insert similar to your LTC, yep. um, but that's another good one for executive protection because now it's in your lower back and you can still put it on a dress belt and hopefully your jacket covers uh, it and no one knows it's there. Good point. But now it has a downfall again, right? Just like this has a downfall. Those, if you got to sit in a car for hours, yeah, it's right. miserable. Yeah, it's jacking up your I lower spine. I won't ever wear one of those on patrol yeah. because it's right in my back. But for the team, sure. For my training belt, sure. Right. But it has a, a purpose, right? You don't go out and wear it on patrol. Yeah. So there's um, just, I guess the, the point of it is, is like, there's, there's application for all of it. it. That's not my favorite. Like if you're, if you're out and it's wet, then that thing's getting wet, right? right. Like if yep. it's, if you're in high grass, you're just, it's picking up everything as you're, as you're going through there. That was my biggest thing is like, I'm, I'm not a big dude. Uh, you know, I'm athletic at best. Right. Um, uh, but my ankles being a skinnier guy, aren't this thing has to be so tight and then it chafes and it rubs around. Yep. And the thing is, as I found is if you're not comfortable with it, you're not going to wear it, right? Like if you buy a piece of equipment and it rubs you the wrong way or it irritates you, what do you do with it? You huck it. Uh, yeah. It just sits, I, sits in the closet. I ain't going to wear that, but you have it. It has a purpose. So yeah, you know, if it works for you in certain applications, great. Why cool. not? So let's talk about, let's talk about what you got here just in terms of training and what you're doing and how you get people on board with this. Um, yeah. cause you, you, you made some custom kits here, uh, training kits. And so I think you're going to touch on some of the stuff that you've, you've pulled out of my bag here. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> so let's, let's go through what you're doing. What, what do you got going on over there? So like anything else you got to train, right? Like being a gym guy, people say, I want to get bigger. I want to get stronger. Got to go train, right? You got to eat right. You got to train. Oh, I want to be a better shooter. Okay, go dry fire. No one wants to dry fire, right? I tell people all the time on the range as a firearms instructor, hey, 10 minutes a day or even 10 minutes a couple times a week, you know, after your workout will change your shooting phenomenally. There's nothing that that will get rid of live fire. Don't get me wrong, right? But 10 minutes a day or a couple times a week for 10 minutes will make you it'll take your shooting to a whole new level. Like I've been off my game with the wedding coming up and I haven't been doing my dry fire. But when I do it and I go to classes, it's night and day of how, what kind of shooter. Right. There is trans, there is transfer. There is. Right. But where people don't, and this is where I'm trying to be vocal in this community is people don't think that way towards medical gear. That's a good point. People don't train medical. Okay. If they gonna, go to a class once a year. If that, yeah. there's so many shooters out there, competitive shooters, cops that don't go to any medical classes. Right. And my thing is, is that 
like everything's a perishable skill. Like I just talked about, I haven't done my dry fire. I guarantee you, I would right now, if we went out to the range, I wouldn't be as quick as I was. I would fumble through some reloads, right? Knock the dust off. It's a perishable skill. You can be the best at it, but if you don't do it for a long time, sure. It's like a bike. You'll pick it up. You'll be all right at it. You'll be better than, than most, but you're not going to be your best. And you when, need you, when, when at, you need it, at the, when you and need so, it the most, yeah. um, when it comes to medical, I just feel like not enough people take it seriously. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to make holes, you should know how to plug holes. And I think we talked about this earlier. You're more likely to use an IFACT or medical training than you are to pull your gun out on somebody and shoot them. Right. You're more likely to use this, but in our community being the gun community, right? Not so much the fitness, but in the gun community, everyone's training for that moment, right? That moment, that guy breaks into my house right. or the guy's up at my window going to arm rob me, right? But what about if you roll up on scene? I've seen something. I've, or, I've already experienced that several times in my own life. Yeah. Like I've never had anybody. Well, it's not true, but I've, had, I've been in some pretty hairy situations that could have been violent, really, really bad. And I've actually been in a few violent situations, but never as many as I've ever had to help somebody in some type of medical situation, whether that be from the Heimlich maneuver or help somebody like in a car accident. I've, I've run into those situations multiple times. So why not have the gear and have the IFAC, which you have, a lot of people don't have that and then go out and get the training. And I'm going to be training on the civilian side here real shortly, uh, with the GCS training, shout out to uh, Curtis and Jason. They gave me a home. So I appreciate them very much. But again, all my certs for training had expired. So the only certs I have are for the cop world post-certified. So I've been working on renewing all my civilian civilian side. So that's going to be coming real soon. I'll be training through GCS training. Check them out. GCS training group.com. We have Instagrams, GCS training. I think it's all underscores right now. GCS underscore training underscore group. Um, I'll be training for them, but it all be NAEMT certified. So again, what we talked about earlier, it's approved by a doctor. You know, I'm going to give you a certificate saying Joe Schmo doctor said that I could teach you this. And now you have their certificate for a year, two years, four years, depending on the class that proves that you've come and taken my class. Okay. Right. So, um, to get back to this kit, I wanted training materials, to, which is yeah to provide at my class. And we already talked about how expensive some of that shit is right. in that kit over there. Right. And here's the thing too. A lot of people don't realize, especially when it comes to tourniquets, you don't want to use your go-to tourniquet as a right. training tourniquet. Right. Okay. This, these tourniquets, uh, these tourniquets are blue, right. And everything in this kit here is blue. And that's because it's indicated as a training item. So that way I don't use it real world. Now, could I use this torn down, beat up, could it work? That it's been applied 18 times. Oh, yeah. this thing, I, this was a hand-me-down from the army. So this thing's probably been applied. That's in pretty good shape. Yeah. It looks and like, yeah. my PDs used it. But if I absolutely had to, would it work? Yes. Yeah. But is there a risk of it failing? Yes. So your real world stuff, black, orange, high vis if you know, you want orange or black. Cool. But don't train with that. Buy stuff that is blue or even take old orange. tourniquets. I and think just, there's some of that are orange. I've seen the, yeah, a lot of guys use those though on, on uh, for real world, just as like high vis, yeah, right. Okay. It's easy to find. Um, but you could take old tourniquets and just write training in a silver Sharpie. Right. But the, the point I'm getting at is one, I wanted something to provide my students, right? You come to my class, you get a tuition, you're going to get a kit and it's the supplies you need for my class. It's the stuff we're going to go over, but it goes home with you. Cool. You paid for it. You so now you got something to train with Work on your skills. Right. And so me being me, if there's something out there and it just isn't what I want, I'm going to, I'm going to find a way. Yeah. So, uh, I was fortunate enough to go to shot show this year and linked up with North American rescue, great company. Um, and they do these cool custom kits 
got my logo on it. It's got its own part number, vacuum sealed with my logo on it. Looks all nice and professional. And they make these for me. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, it's through North American Rescue and it is a uh, kit number 85-3911. And that is the TACMED Sims IFAC trainer. It's the uh, tr- individual first aid kit trainer. And what it comes with here, and I'll just read it off for you guys. It comes with one cat tourniquet and it's blue. One responder emergency dressing uh, flat and four inch, also blue. Uh, combat gauze trainer bandage, which is just gauze. I don't know why it's just gauze in the combat medic package. That's kind of, God, if I can make this stuff, I'd be rich. And then a uh, hyphen trainer chest seal, yep. uh, twin pack, and then uh, blue responder gloves. And so, this, this is all training material. All training material. Right. It's all blue. Um, obviously the cat tea is easy to reuse over and over. Uh, I get asked all the time, well, how am I supposed to reuse these hyphen chest seals? Well, they come on plastic. You peel them off of plastic. If you take them off of whatever you're putting them on gently and in the right fashion, you, put them right you can back. put them right back on the plastic and get multiple uses out of them. And the combat gauze, you're right. But at least if you do a scenario, you get that sensation of opening, opening the it. package. And like you said, if wet hands, a lot of my stuff, I buddy tab it which is something else I don't think I went over that I learned in the army, wherever there's a tear or something to pull on, take a little bit of medical tape and just create a tab on the opposite side. You can grab this whole package with your hand and that little buddy tab gives you something to grab onto it to open packages. Yeah. So it's like this tourniquet. Um, and I I've did, actually seen you've done a, I did a video on yeah, it. Yeah, You it's did fine. a video on it. It was great. Cause I, I, and I'd been doing, I was like, I, I do this all the time and I've actually never seen anybody do a video on this. This is practical, good practical knowledge, but leaving that little tab Oh yeah. Uh, so that you can get your fingers on it. So you're not trying to exactly get your and fingernail. The, and anything. the video you're talking about is on my Instagram. Yeah. I, I made an Instagram years ago to kind of separate my personal life and all of this. So it's a uh, TAC med simps. So it's just all one word TAC right. med and then simps S I M P S. Um, and some of these videos are pinned to the top. The one that Scott's talking about is just one where I talk about the little things Just leaving a little tab here, giving you something to grab onto when you're uh, putting the retention strap in for your windlass on your, on your cat T, you know, if you put it on and there's nothing to grab onto it, and it wears and things rub on it and rub and rub, it gets harder and harder to unvelcro that. Seconds so count. It's seconds count. You just leave yourself a little tab. It gives you something to grab onto. It's crazy. The little things that I've just learned over the years that I want to teach people that'll save you time and effort. But back to this kit, um, you, it's not on their website. Unfortunately, North American rescue makes a ton of custom kits, so it's not on their website. Um, but you can call in if you're a trainer and I give you full permission, anybody reach out, please though. So I know you're using it. Cause I love to hear that, but please feel free to use that item number called North American rescue. And you can order these kits. And if you're a first responder or a company tax exempt, they'll probably offer you some sort of discount. I think retail on it's like 75 bucks. Um, but it comes with all the stuff it's vacuum sealed. Uh, and it's nice, has everything you need in there. Uh, please feel free to use that. And that's for you, Scott, for today. I appreciate so, it, man. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm just looking at this, I'm going, you know, what should, you know, what every business should have one of these, every school, uh, should have one of these. Every church should have one of these. Oh, right? I just, you know? I just went, uh, I just went fishing a couple of weeks ago with my now brother-in-law and I was like, Hey, where's your med kit? Oh, I got this little thing over here, you know, like, yeah. and it's like this ringy ding. I'm yeah, like, dude, I'm buying you, you an, I'm buying you an IFAC. I ordered him yeah. one. It hasn't come in yet, but it's like in a nice Pelican case, yeah. you know, for the boat. But it's like, yeah, you're right. The IFACs are first aid kits. We won't call them individuals. Like that whole IFAC thing, just first aid kits. They should be everywhere and not like, when you go to places that oh, I have a first aid kit, what is it? Band-aids, alcohol wipes, right. <laughs> uh, tweezers. Okay, cool. It's, what it's a boo-boo kit. Yeah, it's a boo-boo kit. And that's fine. Everyone should have a boo-boo kit. But the boo-boo kit should be inside of your, 
your trauma kit, right. right. Or your, or your first aid kit. So again, this is just something where there was other kits out there, but it didn't have exactly what I want. Most of my students bring their own shears, right? I like like the, uh, the Raptor shears from Leatherman. They fold up in your pocket and have a cool clip. Uh, I have one, but it's, in my, set. it's in my locker at work. But, um, most of the, I found that most students that would be coming to my class have shears or whatever. So just to you knock down, it in there, I right? just to knock down the cost a little yeah. bit. I didn't put the shears in there, but literally that's the only other thing you would need. And so you come to my class, we'll go through all this stuff, teach you how to use it. I talked earlier a little bit about a good thing I use to remember, and I'm, I'm stealing it from somebody else. So if I steal an idea from somebody, I always throw their name out there and it's a dark angel medical. They have an image that I love. I use it all the time at the PD and it's a silhouette of a person and it's got dots on the extremities and it says tourniquet, tourniquet the limbs. And then it's got a, a box on the chest. It says seal, seal the box. And then it's got dots in your neck your armpits and you're growing. And it says, pack the junctions. Pack so I tell all my officers, if you can remember to tourniquet the extremities, seal the box front and back. Right. And you know how to pack the junctionals, preferably with combat gauze, but any gauze will work. You can treat 99% of Most the trauma, of the, the trauma out there. And you're going to be using these items. You're going to be using the tourniquet for the limbs, you know, and all this stuff. So again, it was just something where I sat down and I said, this is what I want. And, um, there it is. You know, that's the kit. I, I got a few of them at the house for uh, people and stuff like that. But if you want them in bulk, like I said, hit, either hit me up or hit North American and rescue up and we'll get you taken care of. This is, this is, these are great, man. And again, it, it, it'll, it just gives people, you know, somebody who may not be thinking this way or hasn't been thinking this way, um, a good visual on, you know, kind of what they could how to put one together for themselves. If they want to order from Amazon, North American rescue or whatever else, what I mean is like the, the stuff to make their right. own much like I did over here. Right. And again, uh, when we talked about that minimal minimalist setup, this is perfect. Th that's the minimalist. Man. It, it, that is like bottom of the barrel. That's as low as I would go. I want to talk about the scissors too, because so one of the things, so, you know, when you take your bag on the airplane, you cannot take scissors on the airplane, right? Like I can't take my, I carry a knife, like a little pocket, a little blade every day in my pocket. It just goes everywhere with me. It opens my, Can I just say how good this stuff I know. Is I'm, it's empty. Like I've been, it, mine's a, uh, mine's been gone a while now, but the, the scissors you can't take on the plane. So if you were to go somewhere and they were providing these, you're flying in somewhere to take a course, um, with somebody and they had these, you wouldn't have to worry about getting your scissors on the airplane at the end. I've, I actually, the reason I say that is I went to a course, I was provided a kit Oh no! and it had scissors and yeah, I had to throw them away. I, yeah. And throw the scissors away. Luckily, so, if you just so. want basic trauma shares, they're not too expensive these days. But, um, again, that's the kit and it's, uh, you guys can always hit me up, reach out to me anytime about that. Uh, one, a couple more questions before we go. So you brought in this target for me to, to look at today, which is yeah. like, which is almost like in total contrast to everything that we've been talking about. So uh, this is, this is the other side of my passion and that is shooting. You know, yeah. I love shooting. I am, uh, I love to shoot. Um, I am a firearms instructor and yeah. department armor as well. Um, you name, you do a, it all, man. You name a local. It's just, I like, it's the stuff I'm passionate about. Like if you know me, you know, I like to shoot and I like trauma medical. That that's my thing. Right. Um, but this actually got developed because I was sick of our department's qual was on that old school revolver qual target where it looks like a bowling ball and has a giant soccer ball in the middle. And it's just not practical, right? And in this day and age, people are using like the graphics, but then people go up in arms about what the graphic looks like or what sex mm -hmm. they are or what race they are. Right. So I wanted to target <laughs> so that, silly to me, but it's true though. Right. Oh, it's, it's so true, unfortunately. Right. And so I wanted to develop a target that 
reflected why we're shooting in certain areas and why we're doing certain things. So, um, I started developing this target and I stole some ideas from other people. Uh, you know, some of the main targets out there, I can't think of all their names. Otherwise I'd give them, oh, there's, credit, a million of them. there's a million of them. Right. So what I did is I took this target and just looking at it, I just started with what is your standard target as far as scoring? And that's an IPSC target, Ipsic, right? Yeah. It's kind of your AC. It's your, it's your cardboard. Yeah. Easy to score. Right. Cause a qual has to have some sort of standard, some sort of scoring. So yeah. I started off again, there wasn't anything out there. I exactly wanted. So I started off with this IPSC target. And then from there I said, okay, I can't give you the realistic because of the, it's a he, she, whatever. Right. So I want to put vitals in there. So I put vitals in there. So we see why we're shooting a zone and specifically upper a zone. So I'll give you credit for shooting that IPSC a zone, but that's a big area. Like let's hold ourselves to a higher standard. So for like the SWAT team, for instance, you know, I, we haven't started implementing this target yet. We just started, we just got all this printed out targets uh, have just come in. But the idea with this was, is that uh, like for maybe the department, we use the whole A zone, but for the SWAT team at a higher standard, we use these dotted lines across the A zone to make the standard a little tighter, the upper A zone. Cause what's in that upper A zone. You got a whole lot of spine, a whole lot of lung and you got a heart, right? So that's the standard. And then I noticed that qual days, we were blowing away targets. So we had a retention shot at like three yards, right? Poop, poop. Yeah, you're and wasting. The, the target goes, it's just, yeah, you're just blowing a huge hole. So for one, I moved the retention shooting to the end of our qual. So if we blow the target to smithereens, we've already, we've already scored it. Right? right. But also people don't realize how much damage you can do in this pelvic girdle. Right. I, this needs so, to be talked about more. Yeah. This needs so, to be talked about more because so everybody's going a zones. You shoot in this. I mean, we let's, let's Cause, be honest. Cause we, it's in the D we, we aim, we aim for the A zone because big target. Right. And Center when match. stress happens and I can tell you, I was, I was 50%, right. I shot twice, hit once, missed once. Right. You aim here for a reason. And, and, and you're and, talking and, about in the OIS. You yeah. Were in. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, when you're talking about aiming for chest, there's reasons behind that. And I firmly believe it. But at the same time, if you're fighting somebody and you, what's their natural reaction, they're going to push your gun down away from their chest, away from their face. Right. Everyone's fighting. You see it in the movies. You mean if you're hand to hand, hand to hand, right? There. Like you're getting robbed at the ATM. Right. And he's pushing that gun down, but it's pointed at his pelvic girdle. That's a great, let take him, what you can get. Let them fly. Because let me tell you, you will bleed out very rapidly down there. All your major arteries, uh, your major vein that returns blood to your, they're all based down in that area and they're closest down there in your back. And so, you, you know, in that pelvic girdle, you will put somebody down. And let me tell you, even if they don't bleed out, if you shatter some of these pelvic girdles, yeah, they're not moving. They're not moving. They're going to be a zombie using you know, the yeah, army crawl. Yeah. It's not like hitting somebody in the shoulder right. or even even the chest cavity and them having time to continue to fight you right. because they can be ambulatory. They can use their arms and legs exactly. still while they're, it's not like maybe, maybe they're bleeding out. Yeah. Maybe they're bleeding out, but they're not dropping. It yeah. takes time to realize you're hit or, or to bleed out. Yeah, you know, you, it's not you, like the movies. You don't get shot once. And, uh, you shatter a pelvis. It's game over. Yeah. So yeah. you got to go for, that's why headshots, the A zone and the pelvic, you got to eliminate the threat, not kill the threat. You got to eliminate it. You got to de- you got to take it out of the fight as quickly as possible. Right. So that's a good area that's neglected. So I added that little uh, area down there to um, make it count, to make it count. And then same thing for the head, right? Like there's that little tiny credit card, a box, but that's a, that's a hard standard for somebody. But a lot of people don't realize that small a box it's because this is the most susceptible part of your skull is where your eyes are. There's two giant holes. We all see in right. a skull. Everyone has it tatted on the very arm. brittle, very thin um, bone around right. those. Right? And, and they're giant holes. So that's that, that standard of that small a zone is to get those rounds in that area. But the epicenter 
but of the brain but is me, not up there. Right. It's not. Right. And at the same time, if you hit somebody in the mouth with a round and it shatters all their teeth, yeah, it may not be lights out, but that is something that is going to change their oodle their behavior. Yeah. They're going to rethink what they're doing real quick. So again, I have that high standard of that IPSC A zone, but I then just made a dotted line across the neck and said, Hey, that's still a headshot. I'll take anything in there for PD quals. Right. So that kind of did that. And then what's cool is you shoot up a target, right? Or it's the beginning of the day and you don't want to mess up your target. You want it to look pretty for Instagram later, right? But you want to warm up. So I put some three inch circles on the outside, right. either end of the day. Precision. Yeah. Your, your target's all shot up, but you don't want to waste that target. You got some, some other targets to shoot at. Or like I said, beginning of the day, good for confirming zeros. And then what's really cool is one of my DMs, my good friend um, asked me to put these dots and everyone's like, what are these dots? Right? So above the three inch circles on each corner of my target, there is a one inch circle with a half inch solid circle on the inside. And what that's for is the DMs or designated marksmen. It's a proper term for sniper these days. They can use that for their cold bore shoots. Mm -hmm. So now they can do their cold bore shoots on these four small dots. Oh, cool. And they can still use this target for training later. Because guess what? They're way out there. They don't want to come all the way down and reset targets, right? They want to go up on the hill and stay up on the hill. So they can set up, they can set up these and do cold bore stuff, right? Or beginning of the day, whatever. And then now they still have this silhouette to shoot at. And then what's really cool is I did that for him because he's my best friend, right? And uh, we're firearms instructors. He's a SWAT dude, armors together. Like he's my boy. He's my boy, right? He was in my wedding. I started playing with the target and I'm like, you know what else this works for? Holdovers. That's what I was just going to say. That's where I thought you were going. How hard is it to explain holdovers to people? This makes it so easy. You tell them to hold on that half inch solid black dot and then see where it goes. And what you do is you start, you know, far out or start Mm -hmm. in, but you mark their hits. You do a red Sharpie and write three for three yards or five Mm -hmm. yards. Mark green Sharpie, seven yards. And now your student or you as a person to understand your holdovers can look at this picture and go, okay, I put the red dot on that half inch circle every single time. And I'm going to, here's where I'm at here Dead here's center. where i'm yeah. at here here's where i'm at here because it's important to know those you know not so much with a pistol but with your rifle that's huge for, yeah very um, so it just makes it easy right you go up there and like i said you just mark each one color code them put the number by it snap a picture of it and now you know all your holdovers so it's, again this is efficient this is just something where i wanted something and it wasn't out there so, so I was like, um, yeah, uh, I'm going to go out and make it. Um, so it's available. Um, you can go out. I think I might have changed the name. I think this is the wrong name on it. So uh, you guys can hit me up. It does have its own SKU and you can go to Action Target and you can actually just order these direct from Action Target. Sweet. It's on their website. Um, my PD will be using it. They're not going to use my logo. That's fine. I get it. <laughs> um, I wish they would. Um, you know, people use VTAC targets at PDs and Fieldcraft Survival targets at PDs. Why can't right. they use the tech medicine? Uh, but, but I had it made with their badge on it. So the PD will be using this uh, with the new qual I developed um, oh. soon. Um, but for classes and stuff, and again, any of my homies out there uh, that want to get it, just go to Action Target. I'm not in this to make money. I'm not making money off of this. I don't, you know, yeah. I'm not selling any of this stuff. It's just solutions to problems. Right? I get it. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, with all the things that are out there, people are out there on the range training more than they ever have. And they're always looking for new stuff. Like give me something new to shoot at. Give me something. What's the flavor of this week? Yeah. It, but who, it's, who are we mad at in the industry? Who yeah. we love this week? There's that too. Um, you there, know. There's definitely that too. But I think it's, it's also about wanting to improve skill and then finding, again, we just, we were talking about just the basic IPSC targets um, and people have coming out with some really cool stuff. 
Um, this just gives you a different perspective, you know, on, on what you're doing. And, and it's, it's just, it's different. And I think different is good. It drives us what you're doing now, which is the innovation you found where, look, I'm trying to be more efficient with my time when we're out there. Let's stop wasting time, changing out targets, you know, and, and all this stuff. I mean, all that stuff matters, not to everybody in the same way, but it all matters. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's awesome. And again, I think the, the most exciting part about it is, is it's, what you're doing is driving continued change and people to think a little bit differently yeah. about stuff. And that's all it is, whether it's mental health or it's training or it's medical stuff or just being a good homie. You know what I mean? Like being a change and I'm not perfect. You know what I mean? And no one is, but um, if we all just do a little better and then somebody else does a little better, it, it just, it drives it. Cause I think we talked about it at the talk. Uh, what was that? The talk anniversary down at the brewery. And we talked about it. It's like, if you're doing better than me, I shouldn't hate on you. If you're doing it the right way, right? right. If you're driving innovation, innovation and change in a positive way, I'm all for it. Let me hop on board. Like, how can I help you with this? Because when it's my turn, hopefully you help me. Right. I tell people all the time, I'm going to give you a tool. You're going to put that tool in your toolbox and then you're going to get another tool and another tool. I've trained with every local. I mean, I've trained with Vertac, LMS defense, uh, op tempo, um, obviously GCS who are, you know, I'm going to be mm -hmm. teaching with. And so shout out to all those people. You know what I mean? I've trained with uh, Fieldcraft Survival, uh, Mike Pannone, um, who else? I mean, I've trained with a lot of people, right? But the thing is, is that they all taught me something different. And it's like you mentioned earlier, you get a little nugget every time. So go out and train, right? And yeah, I get it. You have your homie that's like your go-to. I love the loyalty. If you train six times a year, go to those people five times. But like pick somebody else, but pick somebody yeah, else. I couldn't because, agree with you more. Because even if I go to a class and I don't agree with anybody, now I know when I go teach, I'm not going to teach what that guy was doing. Or, like I, I can't, like I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, and, and this is just parallels, like on the fitness world or in the in the the health and wellness world. Like, it, what happens is if you don't do that, is it gets stuck into the like it's dogmatic, yeah. right? And then there's like these these cliques or these clubs within the clubs. And it doesn't make any sense because people end up start hating rather than what you just said, which is the major premise of the show and why I do what I do, which is, is get people together and let's contribute together so that we grow together. Exactly. And if everybody's doing it with that intention, it is all positive at the end of the day. There's plenty of pie right. to go around for people everybody. Say it doesn't work. It's because you're the problem. Yeah. Yes. You're the person you're the that problem. doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. And to, I mean, to your point again, it's like, get outside and train, train more, train differently, put yourself in uncomfortable situations, go to a class that, you know, is completely off, you know, off challenge yourself in a different way. Try new things. Try One new of my stuff. goals for 2023 is I want to go do competitive shooting. Never done it. Don't have a clue how to do it. Respect people that do it because memorizing all of that layout. But one of my goals, I, I told my wife this coming back from uh, you talking about for, like ISPSA. Yeah, yeah. whatever. I don't know. USPSA, so. I know those names because they make targets, but I don't know the difference between <laughs> them, you know, and I'm a shooter, but I've never shot competitively. So that's a world, but Fast I've, grown, I've trained. Uh, there's another one I left out. Frank Proctor. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. The ranch the, up there. Like bro. he has a lot of stuff that I cannot do in the PD world, right? It just would not work, but he taught me a lot of stuff that works. Yeah. Right. And that's a tool in my tool, but he also is one of the inspirations that like, okay, I can learn from that. I've, I've trained with other guys that were combat veterans and they were like, Oh, I went and did a match and I learned so much about myself and shooting. So that's one of my goals. And it's going to be uncomfortable because I'm supposed to be good at it. Right. I'm supposed to be good at shooting. Right. I'm supposed to be like this cop, this, you know, whatever SWAT yeah. guy, this, that, that macho BS, which I don't play into that. My friends joke with me all the time. Like, Oh, this guy's on SWAT. Right. And I'm like, it, 
it's you're just a dude, just a dude <laughs> playing disguised as a dude playing another dude. No. But, um, but no, it's like all that aside, it's something I'm supposed to be good at, but it's going to be uncomfortable. Right. right. So getting out of that comfort zone that you talked about and doing something new. And I guarantee you, I'm going to make new friends. I'm going to yeah. network with new people and I'm going to become a better shooter for it. And even if it's only one match, I want to do one match, go out to Richmond gun club or whatever. One of these guys, you know, luckily I've met people and I'm like, Hey dude, I want to try this this year. And they're like, yeah, I got you. There's a couple of people on IG. Well, that's what happens when you go out and train too. You meet people that, yeah. can, that can put you in situations to and, be successful. And totally like as an instructor too, like I said, like if you come, if you were loyal to me, cool. Like you come to all my classes right on. I appreciate you. Right. But if you go to one other class a year, even if it sucks, you're going to be at that class going, Hey, this, this is the one nugget that I would take from this class to other people in the class. But here's this dude. You should probably talk to him. Yeah. Like exactly. it's good. It's good business. Right. Like I, I couldn't agree with uh, you more. It's sharing the wealth. It's also under, it's learning. It's beginning to know what you don't know. Yeah. I mean, look at the California range day, uh, weekend range day that we did that was like several different companies coming together. Right. And like, yeah, the, everyone has their own opinion and everyone, you know, there's always going to be like this or that. But at the end of the day, like I wouldn't have known who these other people, like I met uh, Ollie. Mm -hmm. Tell me how awesome Ollie yeah, is. Shout out to Ollie, by the way, if you're yeah. listening, dude, like yeah. that dude would give me over the shirt solutions. Off his, yeah, yeah. Over solutions. He would give me his shirt off his back. If I called him right now, I, I, um, I had a really good experience with him and, and his boy, Eddie. Yeah. Um, Eddie runs and guns. Uh, the, the point of that, I think, word that comes out of this is had I not done that, I would not have met the people that I met. I would not have met you. Yeah. Um, I took, I, I thought the weekend was hugely value for, valuable for me in, in many, many ways, but mostly again, and I'm just going to say it, I said at the beginning of the podcast and that's the community that gets built. And uh, had that not happened, had I not gone, I would not have met you I would not have met the other guys. Um, there wouldn't be this connection. And um, you know, it's, it's local, but, you, you know, from kind of a Northern California area, which I think is special, but yeah. at the same time, it starts to help bridge the gaps at a greater, at a greater level, which is what our community as a whole really needs to do. Yeah. We need to stop eating our own. We need to stop talking shit about one another. We need to stop thinking that one this way is the only way and start maybe being a little bit more open. And it starts with, by talking about it and putting ourselves in situations yeah. where, Hey, I'm just going to try something different here and see how this turns out. So I appreciate and, the push. And be humble with it. You know what well, I mean? Yeah. Like, not I suck, yeah. but like I, there's something I could be, I could be learning. Yeah. Here. I yeah. think, I think the big thing is like, we're all a type personality. So hum, being a lot humble of is hard and I do it too. Sometimes I'm like you, you know what yeah. I mean? Like screw that guy. Right? right. But sometimes I find myself going, why am I saying that? You know what I mean? It's like, it, okay, we're different personalities. That's fine. Yeah. You know, but, um, I totally appreciate. And that's why I really felt comfortable coming on your show is like, we had that talk about the community being a community. Right. And I'm really for that. And again, I put out my Instagram, people could always hit me up. I, there's so much we could have talked about, right. For hours and hours. And I'm sure you do this on a lot of your podcasts. You could sit here and talk for oh. hours. Right. But if people have questions, they can hit me up. Like I said, I'll be teaching some classes soon, come out and take some classes. Great. You know what I mean? And just talking about community, like again, I'm just going to take this opportunity, Overwatch Collective. You know, yep. those are my boys. Uh, they got the dinner coming up. Please go see them. Yep. I got to shout out my boys uh, at Black Gun Co. 
Um, yeah, Alfonso, Alfonso yeah. and Hector, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I met those guys like when they were ground level back See at the Alfonso series on Saturday. Nice. Yeah. Tell them I said, what's up? I haven't seen them in a while, but you know, I met those dudes when they were like ground level. Right. I was at a training class at series PD range and those guys have been the homies. They treat me good. Um, but their community, you know what I mean? And, uh, those guys are great. Overwatch collective, obviously, uh, GCS training. And I mentioned a ton of local companies, um, all great companies and all homies. So what makes it all go around? So what's your Instagram one more time. It is TAC Med Simps. It's T-A-C-M-E-D-S-I-M-P-S. And it's all one word and it's on Instagram. I'm not on anything else right now. I'm working on maybe a website soon, um, but I'll be training with GCS training group, which is a GCS underscore training underscore group. Um, and so reach out. Um, did you want, did you want that funny story? We talked about how I get what TAC Med Simps. Yeah. Yeah. What is the TAC Med Simps thing again? Yeah. So Again, growing up playing sports, it was always last names. So I grew up Simpson this, Simpson that. It's my last name. And um, I got that a lot. And then, you know, joining the military, last name, Simpson this, Simpson that. You go to the police academy, it's last name, Simpson this, Simpson that. So most people don't call me by my first name, which is my government name is Gregory, right? <laughs> right? So at best it's Greg, but most people just call me Simpson or Simps for short, S-I-M-P-S, right? Well, I was trying to think of separating my personal life, you know, with my kid and my wife, which they, you won't see them on TAC Med Sims, but they're there. Um, so I'm like, what is this name? Right. And so I'm like, well, everyone just calls me Sims. I'm TAC Med guy. So TAC Med Sims. Well, about that time, <laughs> the, whole the whole Sims thing comes out for like <laughs> subscriber, right? Like the thirsty dude. So then I have people like DMing me and they're like, so you're like, what is you thirsty? Like you're trapping. Maybe you should for, run with that. I don't know. I, I don't know. Do the calendar I, edition. I literally had to write underneath my bio on my name. It's TAC Med Simpson. Gotcha. Um, so Simpson's just short for Simpson, but I get a lot of crap on IG, like the new people that hop on, like, what is this whole Sims thing? Like, uh, who are you subbing for? You know, like, wait, wait a week, it'll who, all change. Whose OnlyFans are you doing? Wait, yeah, you know wait a mean? week, all this shit will change. So, man, and then just stupid the... stuff like my friends support me and I have my bachelor party and they made, you know, a, a little version of me. Oh, that's perfect. And, and, and then they made these into stickers and they handed these out at my wedding without my knowledge. <laughs> so there's about a hundred of these at Slapped my wedding. on the so, water bottles. Yeah. Um, shout out to my boys. Or, right or random stop signs at four-way stops in various cities yeah. across uh, California. So you know your friends really support you when they give you a hard time about <laughs> something. So, uh, you know, having your face plastered on a shirt. Uh, and oddly enough, that weekend we left and I started getting DMs of people wanting this shirt. So I'm actually going to be doing a pre-war. I love it. And going to be doing a run I'll of these shirts. One. I'll take one. Um, so, and then I got some other shirt ideas coming out. So it's just some funny stuff, some play on stuff. Just, you know, uh, ideas like, why not? Right. It's funny. I want to do it. So you got a lot of great stuff going here, man. I mean, I, I, again, I want to thank you for coming down and taking time out, particularly where you are in life with all the things that are going on. I know you have a qual coming up. There's some testing coming up yeah, for you and all yeah, that stuff annual, that you're training annual, for. Annual PT test. I'm kind of stressed about it because the wedding, you know, I, I try to get some work hotel workouts and I even worked out the day of the wedding. Uh, <laughs> good. I was worried. That's what you do. Well, man. I told her you got to have a good pump, right? For yeah. the photos, right? <laughs> it's the uh, pre-party pump. I say that as I'm a skinny dude. Everyone's looking at the thing going, that dude's skinny. Well, look, man, uh, the, the, the passion that you have, the energy that you bring, I mean, it just makes it, it makes it not just, it makes it fun. And I appreciate you coming down and spending time with me and taking time out. Thanks to the lovely wife over there. Thanks for hanging out with My us. number one fan. Yeah. The number one fan. Uh, people know where they can find you. I hope they follow you and they hope to take advantage. And I cannot wait to see kind of what you do um, on top of all the other things you do for us as a community, um, but also um, as an officer on the streets in your, in your local community. But, I, but uh, what you're doing with the training and, and looking to train civilians, 
I think we need more of it and appreciate it's good to that. see people stepping in. So thanks again for your time, yeah, brother. No, thank you. And before we go, appreciate we gotta, it. I got a shout out. I, I tried this Jocko go and I've never had one and they're delicious. So a, uh, I, where, where can we even pick these up? Dude. So we've got him here at the, at the, at the shop now and he's getting like, he's all over the place. Like mostly I think on East coast. And yeah. Like I, the I saw on his Instagram, like it's uh, what is it? Beavers or whatever, like I, that gas station or something man, but only on the East coast. It's so. like, I think he's making his way, making his way across the nation, but you can order them. I know you can get them. And we've, uh, we're, we've been carrying them here and people really love our trainers. Just our trainers are down in these things. So, well, cool. Thank you for you know, uh, showing you me this it, and, uh, shout out to Jocko feel for that. You got it, man. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of iron sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.